Film on the Rocks ain't no big thing, but actually it is over at Red Rocks. It's been Colorado's essential summer event for over 20 years, featuring live performances and movies under the stars at the iconic Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater. The summer series combines some of the best in culture, views, and cult classics. It's a movie experience like no other. These viewings fill up fast, so make sure you get your tickets ASAP coming up this week, July 20th, Top Gun. Some people may not like it. Some people love it. The cult classic or just the classic from the 1980s. They're going to have that on July 20th. Also in Film on the Rocks this summer, they've got movies such as The Lost Boys, GoldenEye, Legally Blonde, Independence Day, The Shining, Jurassic Park, Casino Royale, The Princess Bride, and so much more. And they have a drive-in option now that is amazing. You can also buy tickets from the amphitheater. So Check out Film on the Rocks. They have 21 drive-in movie options as well for a date night or a great family outing. They run the films on a state-of-the-art 55-foot LED screen. And if you do the drive-in option, it's $59.50 per car. You can pack as many people as you want. You get a snack pack with candy and soda and sometimes free packs of beer. So also check out the amphitheater viewings. There are three of them, $16.00. For general admission, $32 for VIP. Head to denverfilm.org for all details for each viewing. We will be giving away tickets this summer. DMVR watch parties as well. So make sure you're following us on Twitter for those details. And check out Film in the Rocks. Imagine watching a movie that you love at the best venue in the country to do it over at Red Rocks. Check out Film on the Rocks. Number one for the one and only Welcome into the DMVR Broncos podcast today, brought to you by MSU Denver Online. Time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturns is an education that allows you to adapt in a varying career. So go and build your toolbox at MSU. Or why not have it both ways? Make money and work while earning your degree. MSU students can tell you all about it. They work double the hours while taking classes of students at any other school in Colorado. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by taught by instructors and professors who bring real-world experience into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs, and some of our very own staff members of DMVR are taking MSU online classes this summer. So check out MSU Denver online, and even if you're not pursuing your degree, you can take courses. never too late to get that education that you deserve in MSU Denver and campus online. It's all the same. Students do just as well online as they do in person, which means you can get the same degree without while continuing to live your life at MSU Denver. I'm Andrew Mason, Ryan Konigsberg on assignment day. He's got a lot on, on his plate. Zach Stevens enjoying a week of R&R. So joining me from Missoula, Montana, correct? Is that where you are in the world, Henry Chisholm? Uh, 
I'm in Columbia Falls, Montana right now. Okay. Yeah, way up north. Wow. Okay. So, like, how far are you from uh, Kalispell? Uh, like 15 minutes. Okay. So, you're in Brock Osweiler country then. I am. Yeah. He actually, he refed my first touchdown pass. What? Back, back when, when I was in fourth grade. Yeah. He was in high school over there. And, uh, yeah, I, I actually skipped the ball in, like uh-huh. bounced it off the ground to the tight end. But uh, Brock was standing in the back of the end zone and his big old aviators called it a touchdown for me. Holy cow. So you're saying he <laughs> wasn't a good referee then? I mean, maybe he, maybe nope. you think he was great because he called I'm, a touchdown pass. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy with him. I'm happy with him. That was like oh. the only one all season, too. I was not very good. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> I should have known you'd have a Brock Osweiler story being from that part of Montana. It's kind of, oh, a, yeah. kind of a small world up there, I would say. Having it never been there. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should come up sometime. It's a lot of fun. I'm I think, sure. Like, a couple summers ago. Yeah. Uh, so we live like on a golf course. Oh, my god. And Brock is just like playing outside our house. It's like, oh, yeah, there he is. <laughs> they ha- Has there ever been a sign like put up that says, Kalispell, Montana, home of Super Bowl champion Brock Osweiler, or has it not reached that point? There should be. Now, yeah. now that you bring that up, while I'm up here, I've got a few more days. I'm going to start a petition. Yeah, because like I, when I was down in Tampa a few weeks ago, there, there are a couple of entering Tampa signs, like Tampa City Limits. Okay. And the funny thing is they, they apply almost the same way today as they did back then, but from oh. February of Oh, or January of 03 through June of 04, the city of Tampa had teams that won the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, and back when arena football was thing, the arena, <laughs> thing, the arena bowl. So in the wake of that, they put up a few of these signs for people in entering Tampa, not all the city limit signs, but there are a few of them that said entering city of Tampa, city of champions, and those three championships. And obviously there's no arena football anymore, mm-hmm. but it's the city of champions again. So <laughs> they just have to update those things a little bit that they've, that teams from the city have won five major teams from the city have won five titles in the last uh, 20 years or so. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. The Denver needs some of those signs. I haven't seen signs like that, like around the Bronco stadium, obviously they have some yeah. stuff, but like you don't see, you don't see signs repping the Broncos Super Bowl wins around town. Yeah, exactly. Where where are those? I mean, why why can't there be at least one sign as you're entering Denver that says mm-hmm. home of the three times Super Bowl champions and two times Stanley Cup champions? Why? Absolutely. Why, can't they, why don't they have that? There's no excuse. There is no excuse. Don't aren't there still signs in Boulder that say home of the 1990 national champions? <sighs> There's got to be somewhere. Right? Like, like, why would there not be? You gotta you gotta take advantage of that kind of stuff. That becomes your identity. How many skiing championships has CU won too? I mean, don't they honor those that those teams? Basically, all of them. I I, I feel like over the last like fifty years, it's been on average every other year they win the skiing championship. How many skiing programs are there though? I mean, is it like CU and DU and a couple others basically? So I had decided I'm not going to dig too deep there, and I'm just okay. going to uh, enjoy the success. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure there there are like maybe five competitive ski yeah. programs and there's probably like more around that don't have the i don't know facilities or the budget or whatever to to compete all right well sorry for that uh, other sport thread jack here <laughs> on the podcast because that seems to be something we're majoring in right now we had we had soccer talk and and golf talk yesterday we had we had a lot of golf on friday but 
there is some football news and it's somewhat related to the Broncos. We're going to, we're, we're going to get into that here later on. We're going to talk about the ESPN three-year power rankings and what they, what they say about the Broncos. But first of all, some news that came out this morning from Adam Schefter. And the interesting thing is uh, this has been quietly reported from some reporters in green Bay as well over the last few months, but Adam Schefter putting it out there this morning uh, that Aaron Rodgers has turned down a contract extension from the Packers that would have made him the highest paid player in football. It was a two year extension offer from the Packers. And, you know, here we are training camp is bearing down on the Broncos and if we're kind of looking at these cryptic comments that we see that we see from Rogers. Of course, we had AJ Hawk saying somehow, some way, I think Rogers is going to be back with the Packers. But if he's going to be back, why would he turn down this kind of deal? Hey, I have no idea. I mean, the only the only explanation would be that he recognizes that this is short notice for the Packers that this is an off season where the Packers can't handle it. They're not ready for a transition or something and just says, well, maybe I have to play one more year. And for some reason, next off season, it'll be easier for me to get traded. But outside of that, I, I first of all, that part to me, that, that doesn't even make sense to me. Um, but that's the only thing that I can think of where there will be a reason for him to be playing for the Packers, but turning down, more money to do that yeah so basically like maybe if i misinterpret i apologize but Mm -hmm. the con do you feel like it's the contract is less tradable if he signed an extension or is it something else that you see see i i don't know i mean i i think that definitely the conversation so my roommate's a packers fan so i've been getting all sides of this for months now (laughs) but uh after the draft, when all of this kind of first started up, you know, that's that's when there were people who were saying, you know, it's it's too late in this process to do it. When you when you trade Aaron Rodgers, you're going to want a top 10 pick and you can't guarantee yourself a top 10 pick right now um, because you're after the draft. And that there's just some of those little timing things that I guess from their perspective makes it difficult to do. And so they say, you know, right, just ride it out, play your one more year. Mm-hmm. And then next year you can really dig into all this, but the contract not being tradable, maybe that does come into play. And to be honest, like as a Broncos fan, if, if the Broncos could trade for a three-year contract with Aaron or a five-year contract with Aaron, sign me up for five years. But, but I could see how other teams would say, eh, maybe that's a bit much for us. Well, the other thing that kind of comes into play here is let's say they give him the two-year extension. Let's say he had accepted it. The Packers would have certainly had a signing bonus be a part of this. And, of course, mm-hmm. one thing that kicks in is the the signing bonus. If you trade a guy, signing bonus, the, the team that makes the trade – that does that that trades away the player is on the hook for that. And that's sort of the dead money that kid that kicks in. It's one reason why when all this started to percolate back in April, the trade couldn't have happened in April because of how the signing bonus would have hit. And you can, I imagine that an extension would have had some kind of, of bonus. So that maybe, maybe part of it is you turn it down because 
if there's enough of a signing bonus there, enough of a guarantee, and you can guarantee the salary as well if you want to structure it that way, it would have almost have made him untradeable going forward, and he doesn't want that. So perhaps not signing it makes it makes him tradable. If this thing lingers into the 2022 offseason, as I think there's maybe an increasing chance that it will, just because you know every day it doesn't happen now maybe means that the window goes into 20 in the 2022 offseason, which if you're a Broncos fan, I think clearly you don't want to see if Aaron Rodgers isn't a Packer, the best chance for him to be a Bronco is if it happens now when there's a limited pool of teams rather than in the 22 offseason, when if Aaron Rodgers is available, you could have at least one third of the league hot on on his heels, calling the Packers driving up the price. Absolutely. And, and I definitely agree that, you know, every day that passes, it gets less likely. But I do think that there are some days that are much more important than others. You know, there was the the June 1st date. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a day where I think a lot of people thought there could be a trade. And, and not necessarily that there would be, but maybe in like the five days right there, that was one of the windows where it was most likely for a deal to happen. Um, I think the next window for that is kind of like, those first five days after Packers training camp starts Mm -hmm. after he officially does not show up. And so to me, like, although it does kind of suck that the trade hasn't gone through and and we're kind of closing in on the season, I would have been surprised if there was a trade between the Broncos and the Packers for Aaron Rodgers that happened, you know, July 15th, because Mm -hmm. it would take some strange behind the scenes because we basically know where everybody stands. Aaron wants out. The Broncos want Aaron. The Packers don't want to trade him. And there aren't many things that change that status quo until he actually doesn't show up for training camp. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. And I, and I see it that way as well, that if it didn't happen June 1, it was something that kind of just went into a freezer for a while through, mm-hmm. through this month. That basically, you're kind of, it's sort of like, 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 a trench, like a trench war where the, the trip where the sides just aren't moving. It's basically like the first world war. It's just, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very static at this point. Then, but the thing that I think the next thing is obviously training camp. Does he report or not? And if he doesn't report, obviously the fines start kicking in. The Packers have said repeatedly that they're, they're not going to trade him that, uh, and they seem pretty intractable on that. Nothing I have gathered indicates that there has been any movement in the Packers perspective uh, that it, it, again, like I say, it's just been, it's been very static. There's, there's been no change. And that's, that's why a lot of times, uh, you know, there's really nothing to report on this except when you see something break uh, like Adam Schefter had out this morning, but I am fascinated to see what happens in the first few days of camp. If Rogers does not report to the Packers, because at this point, you start bringing the public into it. Green Bay Packer fans have not seen Jordan Love with their own eyes yet. And there are reports like, oh, okay, he's having a good day of practice. Yep. And OTAs, you know, yada, yada, yada. But it's one thing to have those reports kind of coming out. And it's another for your highly engaged fan base to start seeing with their own eyes. 
So that's why the first few days of training camp are going to be so interesting when the Packers do throw open the gates and allow people to see the team practicing. If, if Aaron Rodgers is not there and Jordan Love is taking the snaps, how does he look? Is it something where Love looks, re- looks really good and kind of you know, assuages the fears of Packer Nation? That all right, this guy okay, this guy can be the quarterback of the future. Uh, do people start feeling better about that? And in that case, in that case, is there more of a sentiment to say, okay, you know, give the middle finger to Aaron to, to Aaron Rodgers, let and let him go where he wants and try to get to try to get uh, what you can, or is it where where love doesn't look good, and then the fans almost start turning against the organization for ticking off Aaron Rodgers and that sort of, and, and that changes the dynamic entirely. And so that's why I think those first few days of camp are kind of going to be fascinating. The Packers, you know, they're, they're a team that even, you know, that they'll, they'll kind of bunker in and do things their own way, but they are not immune to public criticism and seeing how the public reacts in part because of their unique status as a team that, that whose management does answer to a board of directors from shareholders that run that that control that, that control the team effectively yeah and, and this is just such a strange situation and, and so like i said my roommate from milwaukee he has a bunch of friends in denver from milwaukee who i spend a bunch of time with mm-hmm. and just talking to packer fans about this the, the perspectives are just so different from person to person. Whereas where right. some of them are saying like, just leave that Aaron, we don't need you. And some are saying, you know, this isn't real. We don't believe anything that's coming out. This is just like the media making something up. And, and, you know, even going through like the, the comments below that Adam Schefter tweet, you know, I think like the top comment there was something like, Oh, it's still about the money. You know, this comes out, but I still think it's about the money and people <laughs> below that. And, and it's just like all these different things where, what do people feel when their star player is supposedly being taken away from them? And right now it's just kind of chaos. It's, it's people saying all sorts of different things, feeling all sorts of different Mm -hmm. things. And there isn't like a unified, like, okay, goodbye then Aaron, we're, we're done with you. And there's also not a, we got to do whatever we can to keep them around. And so I do think that Jordan love maybe could sway some opinions and I do think that for a lot of people, maybe Aaron Rodgers actually not showing up to training camp, that would force them to kind of accept what what I think mm-hmm. is the reality here, which is that Aaron does not seem happy in Green Bay. And, and it's it's easy to look at like the, the front office and say, well, they've got to make their decision. Now they know what their options are. It's either get what you can for Aaron mm-hmm. or let him sit out. And save yourself, you know, the, the cap hit that you would have to have if you do trade him mm-hmm. once they realize that he isn't actually going to camp. But there is more going on behind the scenes. And the Packers, more than any other team, and you kind of brought it up, they have to deal with pro- public perception because they're publicly owned by their fans, which is just a, another twist in this situation. I don't even know what that pushes people toward, what that pushes that front office toward. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I mean, if you're if you're, you're Mark Murphy, you, you run the team day to day, but you there effectively you do answer to a board of directors. <laughs> and the, and the, and those, and the thing is people on that board, they're, you know, 
they're business, they're business people, they're lawyers, they're, you know, they're in the public, they're, they're, and at heart, they're fans. And that, that's, it's one of the reasons why the structure is, is so fascinating. The other, the other thing about the Packers, and I think this is, I've brought this up a few times on the podcast, and this is something that comes from working uh, within the NFL for a long time is, you know, that there are organizations that tend to kind of lead the way and tend to be innovative and they tend to be, uh, you know, willing to kind of be the first through the wall to to blast that hole through. And then there are others that are kind of more reactive that like to see other people go about their business. And there are others entirely that say we are going our own way. We believe in what mm-hmm. we are doing and damn what's going on in the rest uh, in the rest of the NFL. Mm-hmm. The Packers are the third organization. It is a very insular outfit. And I mean, you just look at the fact that Brian Gutekunst is their general manager. Brian Gutekunst has worked for the Packer organization since 1998. I mean, he is a he is a Packer lifer who kind of you know, came up uh, who came up under Ted Thompson, for for example. Now, I mean, it's not that you don't have people who kind of leave and move on. John Dorsey is a guy who was there for a long time, eventually, and then eventually moved on, became the general manager of the Chiefs, drafted Patrick Mahomes there, became the GM of the uh, Browns, chose Baker Mayfield at the top of the 18 draft, and now he's working in Detroit. So watch what Detroit does at quarterback (laughs) in next year's draft if if Jared Goff can't put the pieces back together because – and Dorsey was also kind of uh, a guy guy who spearheaded picking Aaron Rodgers when he fell in the 05 draft. So he just kind of has a good instinct about these things. But the Packers have this this sort of – you know this philosophy – football wise that goes back to when Mike Holmgren walked in the building in 1992 to be the coach and guide the team's football operations then. And ever since then, it's kind of, it's people kind of coming from within in terms of the, in terms of the overall philosophy, they'll bring in a coach from outside like Matt LaFleur, but at the same time, Matt LaFleur, he's from outside, but his, training is all West coast offense, Mike McCarthy, West coast offense guy. So even when they turn outside, they turn to people who sort of have similar philosophical views as what the Packers have had going all the way back to Mike Holmgren. And so that's one of the things that kind of makes them interesting is how they really, they very much believe in what they're doing and the hell with everybody else. And what does that mean for how they handle a, a disgruntled player? here right now in Aaron Rodgers, who effectively, as we saw last year, is what makes it makes the whole thing go. Yeah. And and especially when, you know, I think it's it's hard to even put your finger on why exactly Aaron is disgruntled. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of like the cloud hanging over all of this is I, I'm pretty sure the Packers front office is probably saying, so, yeah, we cut jake kumaro last year there's no way that's the final straw for aaron Rodgers now wanting to leave like we can't believe that that one little thing is why he now wants to go but but when i trace it back at least it does kind of seem like that's what it was you know it that was kind of after all sorts of different things that had happened you know not drafting a receiver in the first round and taking jordan love and years before that with the Jordy Nelson being allowed to leave and the different things that happened in between. But then eventually it got to the point where he was like, well, we have this young receiver who's getting better and better. 
we need receivers. This is a guy I like. And then boom, next week he's gone. And I do think that that was kind of the turning point for Aaron. And if you're sitting in that front office, you have to say like, well, come on, really? Like, like that's what this is. That's what's going to do it. Oh, it's just like, a yeah. Messy situation. This isn't the first time that Jake Kumaro's name has come up on this podcast. And uh, I would say this, like whatever team gets Aaron Rodgers, like if the, if the Broncos somehow end up with Aaron Rodgers out of all this, mm-hmm. and look, if, if Aaron Rodgers is not a Packer, this year and if he plays somewhere other than green bay mm-hmm. it still is most likely to be denver if you yep. play anywhere else let's just and it's one reason why you can't really drop this because as long and when you see something like this now that he's turned down a huge contract it's like okay it's yet another sign he clearly doesn't want to be in green bay yeah and you can't imagine this makes the league happy that one of their meal tickets could be just mm-hmm. sitting out and not and and potentially not playing. So if Rogers doesn't report and 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 the eventually it's like okay, you need to figure something out here on this stalemate and they move him, it's still most likely he becomes a Bronco. That's still the that's still the team that makes the most sense on a lot of levels. And I think frankly, uh, if you're the Bronco, the, the Broncos can kind of, they can just sit quietly, go about their business from day to day, but you always have this in the back of your mind. And ba- basically what you, what you're kind of sitting there is, okay, we're ready to go at a moment's notice. Like if, <laughs> if we find out, okay, there, there's been movement, something's happened. They're, they're, they're ready to pounce. I mean, you, you kind of sit, it's, it's kind of like how you, you sit there with, um, you know, with a contingency plan, you know, with your, like, if you were, if you're in a hurricane zone, you've got your hurricane prepared this plan and all of a sudden, and there's one threatening, you just, you know what you're doing. You spring into action. I think that's kind of what the, where the Broncos are at this point. And that's all you can do, but you mentioned Jake Kumaro and I had to kind of look him up a little bit. (laughs) Jake Kumaro, by the way, is 29 years old. Is he? (laughs) He is no spring chicken in terms of, I mean, Jake Kumaro would be one of the older players on the Broncos if if he if the Broncos add Aaron Rodgers. But the reason why I'm saying this is, look, if Aaron Rodgers wants Jake Kumaro that badly, if you trade for Aaron (laughs) Rodgers, you 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 call up Buffalo, which is where he is right now, and like, hey, we just take a seventh round pick so we can just get Kumaro in here right now and just make him happy. Mm Because if that if that is the key, Jake Kumaro is a Bronco. If you get Aaron Rodgers for as long as Aaron Rodgers is a Bronco, I'm sorry, sorry to the yeah. guys on the back end of the depth chart at receiver, but it's it's sort of like uh we had you know we had this in in Denver when Peyton Manning was here. Peyton Manning loved Bubba Caldwell. Bubba Caldwell yeah. didn't didn't really do much of uh, of of anything after after leaving the Broncos, but as it was clear as long as Peyton Manning was around, Bubba Caldwell was going to be a Bronco. After Peyton Manning retired, Bubba Caldwell never played another NFL regular season snap. Jordan wow. Taylor lasted a little bit longer after Peyton Manning because he was a younger guy, but Peyton loved him some Jordan Taylor, was you know, worked with him daily. If Peyton had decided to come back in 2016, Jordan Taylor would have certainly been on the team and on the team, if Peyton had even decided to go the Tom Brady route and pay, play into his 40s, Jordan Taylor would have stayed and Bubba Caldwell would have stayed. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. the, the great quarterbacks. If they say, okay, I've got this guy, I don't care if he's a backup, but I, I kind of want him around, he's around. You, you, you find a way, mm-hmm. but I, it's just it's funny to think like that 
of all the things we talk about, the contract situation, being unhappy with Green Bay's roster construction, uh, the kind of maybe the emotional flashpoint of that was sitting there uh, late in the AFC in the NFC Championship game. Pardon me, looking across the sideline at the Bucks celebrating and Tom Brady uh, in his new environment, and Rogers thinking, yeah, you know, why isn't that me? And you know, and and now and and the Jordan Love pick, and then not letting him know. But uh, wouldn't it be hilarious if Jake Kumaro was the canary in the coal mine and all this? Yeah. And the crazy thing, it's not like it's like he's bitter that they did it. It's like, oh, no, I can't play for you because you did this. It's like, no, I've seen you do this to me. You did the Jordy Nelson thing to me. You did the Jordan Love instead of Justin Jefferson thing to me. And over and over and over again. And am I really going to spend the last two, three years of my career banking on you guys to to give me what I need to succeed? It's like, no, I'm fed up at this point let me go and go to somewhere that's going to have me or let me have just a, a tiny bit of input because that's all I need to get a couple of guys. You know, when, when you're running out there with Devonte Adams and then MVS and uh, who else they have? Hey, I, 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 Brown. I, I, I will take no MVS slander on this podcast. He went to USF. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So, so we'll Sorry. There with Devonte Adams. Yeah. But then the rest of those receivers that they rotate through there, when they're all in the, just basically even with Jake Kumaro, they're all whatever you want to call replacement level players. How do you not just keep the one that yeah. Aaron Rodgers likes? Lazard, yeah. you know? Yeah. If, if, if he likes Kumaro just as much as Lazard, feels a little more comfortable with him then, sure, keep Kumaro. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. It's a small price to pay to make your quarterback happy. <laughs> Although you mentioned Jordy Nelson, you wonder mm-hmm. if it's kind of in the back of Aaron Rodgers' mind is the fact that, okay, is the thought that, and I'm trying to put myself in, in number 12 shoes here. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, they let go of Jordy Nelson. They didn't keep Jake Kumro, who I worked well with in practice. Who's to say that at contract time, they're not going to let go of Devonte Adams. And then we're starting this process all over again. You couldn't yeah. blame him for feeling that way that, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, the time comes to write the check for Devonte. Maybe they don't do it. Absolutely. And, and it's just like a lack of trust in that front office. Not necessarily that he hates those guys or anything, which, you know, he also might. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But, like, just looking through some of these records. So, 13-3 and three the last two years. 6-9-1 and one the year before that. 7-9 mm-hmm. and nine before that. A few double-digit wins again. Like, if you have Aaron Rodgers, you should be guaranteed 10 wins. You have to work to not get 10 wins. And I think that... Although it's easy to look back and say, okay, you made what is that two straight NFC championship games they've been to and you really want out? It's like, mm-hmm. well, you have to look at the bigger picture. There should have been more of that. There should have been more Super Bowls. And obviously there's plenty of blame to go around. Mm-hmm. But if he thinks that the front office isn't giving him a good enough team and he's kind of carrying them to what they've gotten, I can't really argue with that. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's funny. I go through those records that when they went, when, in 2017, when they had that year that they went to seven and nine, that was the year that he missed nine games. Okay. So they were four and three in the games that he started that year, and they were three and six without him. Now, 2018, th- there have been two seasons where Aaron Rodgers has played at least 15 games, and the Packers didn't have winning records. One was his first year as a starter, which is just kind of a first-year thing. And then it was that 2018 season where they fire Mike McCarthy part of the way through. And you know what? You can, you can say that 
they I, the, the Packers, to their credit, successfully identified the part of the engine that wasn't working because they, they jettisoned McCarthy and they bring in Matt LaFleur with mostly the same team and they go from 6-9-1 and one to 13-3 and three like that. Mm-hmm. They, look, they were tired of McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers was, a, was tired of McCarthy. I would even argue from the, the Wisconsinites I know that the entire state of Wisconsin was tired of, of McCarthy. Which, and it just happens when a coach is there too long. I mean, even there, there was Mike Shanahan fatigue here toward the end of his time, and he won two Super Bowls. It happens. It's, it's, it's a natural sort of thing. But you kind of step back and say, okay, every, every normal season that, he, that he's had, their floor is basically, is basically 10 wins. And their ceiling is 15. They've, that, that's throwing out the 2018 season over the, la- over the last uh, dozen years when he has played double-digit games. They're, they, they win 10 to 15 all the time. So the last couple of years they've been on, you know, not the, the high end of that, but closer to the high end mm-hmm. uh, than the bottom. Um, you know, and what, you know, what are the consequences going to be for them if they, if they, if they do, if they let go of him, if they can't, if they can't get him back, I mean, it's, it's disastrous. And that's why I think uh, if, if they know he's not coming back, they just, they need to, accept it and and make this and make this move here of course it could all be moot if he if Aaron Rodgers has been playing everybody here and it's possible that he has been playing everybody <laughs> that he's point that like his sources that you know whoever is pumping Adam Schefter information and mm-hmm. uh that when you kind of start kind of putting two and two together that's probably the agent side of it that's probably that's probably a, a, a David Dunn type of thing and then whoever and then whoever is and what he's telling like yeah, someone like AJ Hawk when he's hanging out with him for a week, somebody is going to be wrong, dead wrong in all of this. And you, and <laughs> you know, we know that Aaron Rodgers has kind of a passive aggressive thing going here. Mm-hmm. Is there somebody who's going to look bad? And that's why it, it's interesting that Adam Schefter, like he had the report today, he was very intractable about even just last week on ESPN with Mike Tannenbaum about saying that Aaron Rodgers, you know, is done done with Green Bay. What if, you know, what if there's a little bit of a, a reporter being kind of used here and kind of a, a, a back and forth and, and thing with, with Schefter in particular, we all have deep respect for Adam Schefter. Mm-hmm. But you remember back in April when he came out and was adamant that the 49ers were going to pick Mac Jones. Adam, mm-hmm. and that, gave, right. that kind of gave us all hope that uh, <laughs> Trey Lance was somehow going to drop to Denver, but uh, uh-huh. it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, reporters are absolutely getting used. I mean, you go back to draft night yeah, when all of Denver media has been told by somebody that, that it's happening, that the deal is close. And, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure if you were getting texts. Maybe you do know where this was coming from. But I mean, you saw everybody in Denver media say this is close and people mm-hmm. outside yeah. Denver media, too. But then on the Packers side, nothing just silence for the most part from Packers media. I think uh, it was actually kind of interesting to kind of start to piece together what I could out of mm-hmm. that. And um, as I was told, there was a, like, there was a huge kind of buzz in the room for, a, for a few moments when this 
suddenly seemed like it was in the realm of possibility. Like there, there, there were some who believed this thing could happen. Now, the since then, definitely. That's why I say it's kind of it's kind of in a freezer right now, mm-hmm. and you're sitting there saying, "Okay, it's you know, as as soon as we have to pull it out and thaw it out, we're ready to we're ready to go forward and have a plan and try to get something done." But it's very it's kind of very much all right. It's it's still something that we have that we have in our freezer, but it's it's not worth thawing it out right now, so to speak, because there's because there's no thawing in Green Bay at least on the side of the, the, the Packers and who knows if there's going to be a thawing with Aaron Rodgers. So yep. what's, what you, you don't want to just leave, you're not going to leave it out there on the counter to spoil. You're putting the piece the peach in the fridge or in the freezer. Yep. I should say. And, you know, I'll say this, maybe the, the Adam Schefter report today mm-hmm. is kind of the start of the unfreezing. Maybe know, it's, it's going to be next Wednesday that Aaron Rodgers either does report or doesn't report. We're eight days away. And you'd have to think that there's going to be a few things that come out between now and then. Yeah, that, that certainly may well be things uh, that, that come out. This is going to be this is going to be wild. Before we get into the second segment here, want to tell you about our friends over at Ball. Ball is sponsoring the DNVR network. And that is ball as in the all-new ball arena, as in the aerospace technology company, as in the world's largest aluminum can and packaging manufacturer. Ball has been leading global sustainability efforts for decades. In 2018 and 2019, Ball Aerospace developed image surveillance systems to observe natural resources from space and methane, ozone, even land and water use. Ball's ASI, Aluminum Stewardship Institute certification, makes it a leader in the stewardship of aluminum while meeting the highest environmental, ethical, and social standards within their market value chain. By 2030, Ball aims to reduce operational carbon emissions by 55% and across their value chain by 16% from the 2017 Levels. Well, Ball has also reached out to us and told us they need help here in the Denver metro area for their plant in Golden. They have four manufacturing positions for production technicians and other roles available because they need to make more cans. In 2020, Ball made over 101 billion cans. 101 billion cans. That's some Bezos level numbers mm-hmm. right there. It's a lot of cans. Mm-hmm. So they're hiring production technicians to make even more aluminum beverage cans as Henry shows me his beverage can. What do you have in there, Hank? So this is, <laughs> I shouldn't plug this, uh, Kirkland Signature Cold Brew. I okay. think the fact that it's Kirkland Signature will stop this from being like a real ad because I can tell you it is not very good. But just out of curiosity, I looked. Little tiny ball logo right How there. about that? See, you of can't, course. you can't get away from ball. I had a can of soda last night and I looked on there, on the, the Mountain Dew little melon thing, and there it was. The yeah. ball logo that we see on the ice for the Avs, on the court for the Nuggets, it's it's right there. They're doing a lot. Those are some of those 101 billion cans, and they're hiring production technicians to make even more of those cans at their 400-person plant in Golden because the demand for sustainable aluminum beverage cans is greater than ever. And like we just noted, if you consumed a beverage in a can, the chances are good. It's from a ball aluminum can. And one reason why using aluminum is so good is that it is a highly sustainable material. 75% of all aluminum ever produced on the face of the earth is still in use, which is why you can recycle it over and over. I know you recycle. I recycle. I, I'll just go, I'll go down, drop it in the bin. And I, Hey, for all I know, 
I have had a beverage that was in aluminum that was in a can for another beverage I had. <laughs> That's just how these things work. So you can work for ball. Check out hashtag work at ball online and to apply for a position at their aluminum can plant, text golden to 77222 or go to jobs.ball.com and search for golden. That's jobs.ball.golden or simply text golden to 77222. Also want to tell you about our friends over at DraftKings, our favorite sports book, and also the top-rated sports book in the United States. And speaking of the United States, a lot of our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for gold medals. The opening ceremonies later this week, but the events have already begun in Tokyo. And DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for our listeners. So here's what you do. You place any pre-event wager of $1.00. To be able to cash $100 in free credits if the United States wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze over the course of the Olympics. I mean, look, the, the chances of no American athletes winning medals <laughs> are so infinitesimal. They're incalculable. So mm -hmm. this is basically free money right here. 101 odds on an offer like this doesn't come around so often. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get on all the action. DraftKings Sportsbook is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the actions. We here at DMVR love DraftKings Sportsbook. We know you will too. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use Promo code DMVR when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if the United States wins a medal. That's code DMVR to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling, gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And you know what? If you want to get on DraftKings and you want to have the chance to make some more money. There's a lot of things going on at DMVR that can help you, starting with the DMVR Bets podcast that, of course, mm -hmm. Frank Konigsberg and Andre Simone do. And that's just one part of so much that we've got going on at DMVR. And, of course, if you become a member, you can, uh, you can comment on the DMVR Bets podcasting shows. You can comment on this podcast. We've got some comments we're going to get to later on in the show. It's a big benefit of being a DMVR member. You can join the DMVR Golf League. You may have missed that initial sign up. No problem. There are opportunities to join week to week, depending on the course. Follow DMVR Golf on Twitter for those updates. You can chat in the members only Discord. There are extra raffle tickets at watch parties to win free gear. Just tell your server that you are a DMVR member. You can read our content, plenty of stuff, especially going into training camp. No one will have training camp covered like we do. You get a free DMVR shirt with annual membership. You get the weekly member deals on at the DMVR locker room with partners and a big beer for the price of a small beer at the DMVR bar. So check out becoming a DMVR member today. We love the fact that you're rolling with us. We love that you're listening with us. But think about it this way. If you've been thinking about a DMVR shirt or shirts, if you get a free shirt and discounts in the locker, that membership might well pay for itself that you find. So check out becoming a DNVR member today. All right. Before we get into comments, we just talked about Aaron Rodgers. We talked about him turning down the contract. And let's face it, if, if the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for the Broncos is Aaron Rodgers, yeah, they would probably have to sacrifice some player capital as well as draft capital, but changes the outlook of the team. The overall roster, 
according to ESPN.com, other than the quarterback position, ranks 12th. ESPN just had its three-year power rankings. Broncos overall roster, 12th. Broncos rank 24th. The quarterback position, though, for the Broncos in these power rankings, dead last 32nd, which is why you're talking about him being 24th in these three-year power rankings. First of all, Hank, let me just ask you, when you hear a ranking looking at the Broncos next three seasons at 24th, what's your, what are your, your initial thoughts? Uh, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Probably. Um, I think to, to outplay 24th, I mean, what, so 24th would mean you're the ninth pick in the draft, Yeah, which means you're sitting there around six, seven wins, probably in a 17 game season. Mm -hmm. So I I think that maybe that's a little bit low. I, I think that the Broncos is currently constructed. Like you look over next three years, especially considering how, how young and talented the team is. I think they're probably more in like the eight to nine win range, but that's kind of getting nitpicky here. Uh, so I, I can't argue too much. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably fair. It's probably fair. Yeah, I, I actually went back and decided to look at some of the uh, the power rankings that they did because this three-year projection is something that ESPN has done on a regular basis. So go all the way back to uh, 2018. So we're three years out. They had the Broncos ranked 20th in the power rankings. You know who they had right below the Broncos? And this just shows how things can change. Who? Tampa Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 20th, actually, you look back on that and that kind of flatter, that's a flattering scoreline a little bit. Because mm-hmm. the three seasons since six and 10, seven, and nine, five and 11, you know, total record of 18 and 30, 20th. I mean, basically you're pushing 500. The Broncos haven't been that team over the three year stretch. So I would say the, believe it or not, the, they missed on the high side in 2019, the three year power rankings had the Broncos down a little bit at, uh, at 22nd. And the teams immediately around them, by the way, were the Detroit Lions. But right below them, the Buffalo Bills. Think about that for a moment. Where would you? There's okay. There's a miss right there. Yep. They obviously didn't have confidence in Josh Allen. And the thing, uh-huh. I, and, I, and the thing that I think about is this: there, the people who believe in Drew Locke, a lot of the rationale is Josh Allen. And the belief, okay, Drew can make the leap like Josh Allen did. Even Josh Allen is an exception to the rule. That you, you go back and look at quarterbacks in their early career form and whether they took the leap or not. There are more quarterbacks who settled in as lower tier guys than guys like Josh Allen who made the leap into MVP territory. It's basic, or, or at least even not even MVP tour, just being starter that's good enough to build your team around. So basically, top top dozen guy. So. Allen is the exception, but mm-hmm. clearly ESPN didn't believe in Josh Allen then in these rankings, and it turned out to be wrong. And clearly they don't believe in Drew Locke now. It's something. <laughs> it's, it's definitely something. But, yeah, I, I again, like 24th, I can't argue with that. Overall roster 12th mm-hmm. over the next three years. Not counting quarterback. Not counting quarterback, yep. That yeah. seems a little bit low to me. Like when you look at the offensive line, 
you've mm-hmm. got plenty to like there. You know, the, the only holes, I, I, I think right now you look at, as you have seven players on that offensive line over the next three years, because I'm excited about guys like mm-hmm. Natani Moody. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. Cushionberry and Miners. You need one of them to pan out. And, and you look and there's so many ways, I think, that that group could be successful. You mm-hmm. look at the tight end position. I think Noah Fant's just going to be really good. Even if he isn't, I think Albert O is pretty good. You look at the receivers, and you've got Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. You've seen good things from Tyree Cleveland when he was pushed on the field. But Tim Patrick is still there. And throughout this roster, I just think that they have so many paths that maybe maybe this year, 12th overall roster, you could make the argument. But with so many guys getting better and so many young guys across the roster, mm-hmm. it seems like over the next three years, they should be at least in the top 10, right? You would hope so. Now, uh, I actually went back and I, I did a little bit of a deeper dive into where they had the Broncos kind of on ranking when you break down like their, their roster, their roster overall. So 2018, they had a rank of 20th and a roster rank of 17th. 2019 rank of 22nd roster of 23rd minus the QB 2020 rank of 24th, just like this year, roster of 16th this year, still 24th roster rank of 12th. So what that tells you is for all of for all that John Elway has been maligned over the years, he's moved things in the right direction everywhere, uh-huh. but one spot. Yep. And who knows? Maybe this is the year where drew lock does break out. Mm-hmm. there's they, a chance that maybe he got that right too. And it just took a couple of years. I don't know. It, it yeah. to, to be honest, it doesn't really matter. John Elway is not in charge anymore. Right. And you know, I, even again this morning, just reading stuff, I think it was based on this people saying, Oh, 32nd and quarterback. Mm-hmm. And they didn't draft one. How do you go five straight years and again? Yes. The Broncos have gone five years without going after like a first round pick quarterback. But this front office has been in place for six months. And, and that means that the clock absolutely just resets. And so that one frustration that keeps coming up over and over and over again, it's time to go away. They made the change because of that. And now it's time to let George Payton and his staff do what they do. And right now they've, got, they've gone six months without addressing the quarterback position in the way that the fan base would like. Yeah. And the, that's the thing the, for them. The clock is reset. Mm-hmm. The fans have experienced everything. George Payton uh-huh. hasn't been around for all the bleeding. The other thing that kind of lingers over this is ownership. And if the team is sold and if it goes on the market, the type of money it's going to take to buy the team in all likelihood means that an owner or ownership group certainly will have no hesitation cutting a check for people to go away if they want their own, their own, their own folks in charge. So like, you know, for example, back in 1981, 40 years ago, when Edgar Kaiser brought, bought the Broncos, it did not take long for him to say new coach, new GM and red Miller and Fred Gerke gone. Dan, Dan Reeves and, uh, and Grady Alderman, boom, they, they became the, the people that were running things on a day-to-day basis over there. And that's why I think even though George Payton has the security of a six-year contract and the knowledge that 
uh, and I, that all right, if something happens and the new G and the new owner says, I want my own person, then I'll be financially secure no matter what. George Payton doesn't want that. He wants this job. He wants to, he wants mm-hmm. to be here. He wants to succeed. And to do that, to kind of, you need to have a season that shows evidence that things are going in the right direction. So just as Vic Fangio needs to show significant progress this year, I would even say that uh, if you're George Payton, it, you certainly want to look up at the end of the year and see at least nine and eight from this team so if a new owner comes in and maybe has an itchy trigger finger, that new owner would wait and say, well, this team went from four straight losing seasons to going to nine and eight. This Peyton got fella may know what he's doing. And I, I think part of what's working in Peyton's favor is the team just on paper should not be able to be as bad as it was last year. Like when you just look at the roster, because this year you get Cortland Sutton back, you get Von Miller back, you uh, add a guy like Kyle Fuller. It's really hard to find a place on this roster where the Broncos should be worse than they were last year. Now, all that said, you know, those guys were, you know, Cortland Sutton, early season injury, Von Miller before the season injury, and you're just heading into training camp. And who knows if you're going to be losing pieces there. Mm -hmm. But you just look at this roster and say, this team should be better than last year just because they were missing so many guys, plus they added a couple more pieces. Now, is that game from, what, five wins to seven wins or eight wins? I think the number is probably right in there. And then if, if you actually improve somehow, then maybe that's what gets you over that to, to the nine-win area. Yeah, and scheduling matters as well because – uh-huh. I've, I've been pretty consistent in saying I think this team is going to be a playoff contender and maybe kind of sneak in at nine and eight, even mm-hmm. if it's status quo quarterback, even if they, they're getting one of the lowest amounts of production from the position. But I don't think that'll happen because whether it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater, if they're struggling, they will make a change and they and they mm-hmm. will get some improvement. If Drew Locke comes out early and struggles, they won't hesitate to put in Bridgewater. If Teddy is the starter in week one and hits a wall, they'll give Locke a look. And actually, to be honest with you, I think that sort of situation might actually uh, benefit Drew Locke a little bit. That uh, if he's not the starter in week one. Teddy goes out there. Maybe the Broncos win those first three games with Teddy, but perhaps he hits a wall when they start seeing defenses like, like the ones in Pittsburgh and Baltimore uh, that start popping up with the Baltimore game in week in week four. And then Drew comes in. He's watched for a few weeks. Maybe he's learned some things by getting the the perspective from the sideline. Comes back in, re-energized, uh, plays plays better than he has. And revi- revives his prospects. I actually—that's why I actually think if Drew Locke doesn't win the job in training camp, Hank, I don't think the—I don't think the narrative is over for him. I, I think it's—it's a—it's a setback. It's going to be frustrating for him. But I don't think we close the book on Drew Locke just yet. And I think it might actually, in the long term, make him better. I, I think so too. I mean, I, I, there's there's a bunch of different ways this season could play out. I, mm-hmm. I think that regardless of who the opening day starter is, you're going to see both. And if that were a bet on DraftKings, I bet it's minus 250 mm-hmm. that you see both. 
just because, I mean, with a 17-game season, more likely to, to miss time with injury, most teams already are going to not have their quarterback for a game. And on top of that, like, to not even have him for a half, I think that you're going to see both these guys. And there's just so many worlds where you get good quarterback play. Because you look at it and you say, okay, on paper, the, the, the way the world sees these players right now is maybe NFL quarterback number 32, NFL quarterback number 34. Well, mm-hmm. first of all, that's not exactly how football works is that everybody's just like a computer ranking, whatever they are. There's going to be fluctuation. Drew could wind up being quarterback 16. Teddy could wind up being quarterback 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that you have two shots with those guys to kind of jump up increases your odds of getting good quarterback play. Mm-hmm. So I like the construction of the team by having two guys, whereas a lot of the lower end teams are just going to roll with who they have. Um, but from there, you know, you start the season with Teddy. You like what Teddy's doing. Teddy's playing well. Well, guess what? He gets hurt week seven. Drew comes in and plays even better. That's what you want to see is two good quarterbacks where you have a good quarterback coming in, taking the job of another one, similar to, I guess, like the Dak Prescott, Tony Romo thing. That was a preseason decision. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Has uh, Where else has a good quarterback? Oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick last year playing pretty well gets benched for Tua um, because Tua's exciting, whatever. I, with two quarterbacks, the point is you should be able to get good quarterback play, good enough quarterback play, or at a, a very mm-hmm. minimum, better than last year quarterback play. Yeah, it's actually it's a great point. And last year, remember Teddy in QBR of the eligible quarterbacks was 17 to 33. Mm-hmm. And going over his play – over the last four seasons, especially when he started, and obviously didn't start in 2017 because he was coming off the injury, had, a, I believe, one start in 2018, then played several games for the Saints in 2019, of course, played for the Panthers last year. He has been across the board, when you add everything up, it comes out to average, above average in completion percentage, below average in, in, touchdown, in touchdown percentage. So... If Teddy is who he was in New Orleans and Carolina, he should be middle of the pack. Is that worth building around? No. Is that is 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 that something you can win with? With the rest of the roster, absolutely. So honestly, I feel pre- is Teddy limited? Yeah, because he doesn't. I wish I, I wish I could take Drew's velocity and give it to Teddy. I wish I could take Teddy's, you know, short to intermediate precision and ability to go through his progressions and transfer it to Drew. Can't do that, unfortunately. Yep. The fascinating thing about this competition is that what one is missing, the other has, and vice versa. If you could put these two together in some kind of robo-QB mode, you'd you'd have a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, but you can't do that. And that's and that's why they're battling for a job because they are incomplete quarterbacks. The question is, can Drew figure out what he's missing? Because with Teddy, you know he's he's not going to suddenly bec- have a howitzer coming out of his right shoulder. No. But can Drew kind of learn how to read defenses better? Can Drew become better at his touch and placement passes? Because uh, it, it's just it's so interesting to watch them in juxtaposition yep. and OTAs and see how they do different things well 
but who's better in the end some I think Pat Shermer would probably decide Bridgewater unless Drew becomes more accurate short short to intermediate but we'll see yeah and to me you know this would never ever happen but I think the best way you know if these two players are just what we've seen from them so far they're not improving at all whatever mm-hmm you, you play Teddy for the first three quarters of every game. You throw Drew in <laughs> in the fourth, and that's probably how you get the best quarterback play this season. You know, I, I brought up, uh, uh, I think it was on one of the Broncos shows. I might be repeating myself. I can't remember. But but I went back and watched the uh, Panthers-Chiefs game from a few weeks ago, or I did that a few weeks ago from last season, where Teddy throws for close to 400 yards and completes close to 80% of his passes. And the Chiefs win 33-31. But the Panthers have the ball with a minute and a half left. They've mm-hmm. got to get the ball from, what, the 20-yard line into field goal range to win the game. And Teddy cannot get that ball downfield. You know, he doesn't have the arm strength to get to the sidelines. He's, mm-hmm. he's just throwing these little crossing routes five yards downfield. There's like three plays where you're like, oh, thank God the receiver dropped that because otherwise the clock is running. And that's just not the type of guy that Teddy is. Whereas you put Drew in that situation, you're like, oh boy, buckle up, here we go. But with Drew, can he make 60 minutes of consistently good decisions? Mm-hmm. So far, the answer has been no. And there's a yeah. chance that he figures that out, but it, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens. And the other thing is, you know, Teddy starts as the starter, mm-hmm. doesn't play well for a game, or you're down in a game or whatever. You could see a quarterback change just in the third quarter when you're down a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And I can see how Drew would come in and just turn that into a win and be off and running from there with a little bit of confidence. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I, the other thing that I thought of, Drew, because of his velocity, that helps you in the red zone. Teddy, yep. uh, not a good red zone quarterback in part mm-hmm. because he just kind of lofts it in there. And that's where you're dealing with a compressed field. Defense has a better chance to react, break up the throw. We've even seen some of that in OTAs. Whereas Drew, because he can fire those bullets around, he can get in there, wing it in there before the defense can react. So Mm -hmm. maybe there's something to, if not the have Drew play late and have Teddy play the first three, three and a half quarters, maybe it's even something where Teddy is playing until you get to the 20-yard line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you put Drew in to try to finish it off in the red zone. I mean, it would be absolutely nuts, and you couldn't do this long term. But I've, I've seen, look, any Bronco fan who is older. I mean, if so, if you're in your 20s, you don't remember this. But if you're listening to this and you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, 70s, 80s, you remember that game back in 1992 where. The Broncos threw a scare into the Cowboys by alternating quarterbacks every play. <laughs> Tommy Maddox, Sean Moore. Tommy Maddox, Sean Moore. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's why I say I've heard worse ideas than Teddy being the quarterback to the 20-yard line and then Drew coming in or Teddy being the quarterback for the first three and a half quarters. Heck, the, the imagine how 2011 would have worked if they played – Brady Quinn for the first three quarters, then put in Tim Tebow at the end. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think that there's a chance that that would be the best solution. Now, at the oh same gosh. time, it's like, also, ideally, Drew just makes good decisions for the first two quarters of the game and doesn't get too aggressive and realizes the fourth quarter is when you get to really let loose, and that's if you're down. And that's something that Drew's really good at. 
but, but not not but not until like late in the fourth quarter because like one of the worst decisions that he made was in Atlanta down 14 points early in the fourth quarter first play of the drive and he just wings a prayer up there <laughs> Atlanta intercepts it gets a touchdown goes up three scores Broncos get two touchdowns of their own but they end up being mop up so I'd say the moment at which you think about just going with the guy who's just going to grip it and rip it is probably about the eight minute mark of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So basically it's Teddy for mm-hmm. three and a half quarters and then, and then drew at the end. <laughs> yeah. And I think that if Teddy's the guy and I think that if they find themselves in that situation, I think that they will be willing to make that change. Yeah. Oh man. I, <sighs> there's a part of me that wants to see this. Because it's absolutely <laughs> nuts, uh-huh. and we w- and we would never we would never forget a season that involved the quarterbacks being used situationally based on field position and time on the clock in the game, and and also you got to throw in the other piece and based on their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, you know, that's the other piece. That's why it fits together. It, it does make a little bit of sense. And I guess the other thing about Drew that I'll add is like. There was the stat going around Twitter last week where off of play action, he was like solid, didn't throw any Uh interceptions or whatever. And you just have to remember, he's a young quarterback, rookie year, spent his whole season learning how to play play action football, comes back the next year, is solid in play action, but they're asking him to be the Peyton Manning mold of quarterback who's just sitting back there. It's totally different, and it didn't work. And to me personally, if he comes back in the same way that he learned how to do all the play action stuff and came back the next year and played well, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back this year and is like, okay, I kind of understand this now, and I'm ready to at least mm-hmm. be average at that. I can really excel in the play-action portions. Like, I, yeah. To me, it's too early to write through lock-off because you can just see how these things could could work out in terms of like his, his path of development. I mean, every quarterback should be in better in play-action than without because, what, because mm-hmm. what that does is it gets the defense playing on its heels and in the case of the Broncos play action, when they play fake and roll out, it narrows, the, it narrows the, the field of vision to where you're not going whole field. You're going just part of the field. Yep. And that is something that Drew has proven he can do well at. When they ask him to just kind of do a straight drop, scan the whole field, go through the progressions. And we saw this in OTAs as well. Mm-hmm. He still is struggling there. And can he figure that out? He did figure out play action. Can he, can he figure the rest of it out? Because if he doesn't, then it limits his ceiling. And basically that's where you're talking about drew being kind of a, a lower tier fringe starter who kind of starts going yep. on the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCown career arc where mm-hmm. you're starting some Steve DeBerg to go but way back. You're starting some years, but you're not, no one's putting the keys in your hand to be the guy unless, you know, they kind of get frisky. Like Buffalo gave Fitzpatrick a big contract in 2011 and they ended up regretting it. So if Drew figures out how to go through his progressions and be able to be a, a drop back quarterback who can scan the whole field and go where he needs to go, then that turns him into somebody who can be somebody that you build around. If he doesn't get that, He's still playing in this league. He's still starting some games, but he ends up probably going on a career where he kind of kicks from one team to one team to another uh, over time. Sometimes his starter, sometimes the backup, maybe 
falls into the trap of being the cliche of the quarterback who's good, just good enough to get you beat. Yeah. And, and I think that it's worth remembering, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, was kind of that kind of guy. He was the, the bootleg roll out one side of the field kind of guy, but then he learned how to read the whole field. And that's what turned it, it turned him into an absolute monster could throw the ball anywhere. Um, I don't know. I, 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 well, he in fair in, in fairness though, Aaron Rodgers at that stage, even when he was still figuring things out, was a lot better than Drew, Drew Locke was. Like that, 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 that for that first year, I I actually I covered one of the games that he started that year when they played Carolina. He was still and he he was still figuring things out, but even even so, in that first season as starter, he threw more than twice as many touchdowns as interceptions. And, mm-hmm. you know, now, nowadays we look for you know, a quarterback wanting to get to two and a half to one or three to one in touchdown mm-hmm. interception ratio back then in 2008, two to one put him among the very best quarterbacks in football. And in the following mm-hmm. season, he goes, he goes more than four to one at 30 to seven touchdown interception ratio. So, so I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But but Rogers was miles ahead when he first started starting games of where Drew was. Of course, Rogers also had the three year incubation that Drew yep. didn't have. And, and imagine that. Imagine if I don't, now I kind of feel like a Drew apologist for saying no, no. saying so many good things about him. It's, but, no, but it's not. You're not an apologist. And look, they're they're perfectly valid. They're perfectly valid things. And if I mean, kind of my point on it is that it's more likely that he takes the the path based on other quarterbacks in the range that he's had over the years, over the decades, since the merger, it's more likely that he takes the path that probably leads him to starting, but being kind of on the lower end of starters. Most of the time doesn't mean you can't kind of have a, a breakthrough season every now and again, like Fitzpatrick has had from time to time. McCown had some, ha- had some breakthrough moments from time to time. I, I think the thing is people like have this all or nothing view on drew, yep. Whereas I kind of, I'm definitely a middle ground type of person that says he probably ends up somewhere in between the extremes, but are, but is that in between good enough to where you're giving him a second contract at a substantial amount? Yeah. And you know, what happens with Drew, if like Aaron Rodgers, he doesn't even play this season. Like he, he's still on the bench through this entire 2021 season. What I think Let's just say Aaron had 35 total completions through three seasons. Right. So by the end of this season, we still haven't really seen Drew. And then next year is the year that he's going into camp. And and we're about to say, okay, it's his show. We'll see what happens. It's it's just a totally different world. And the other thing I'll add is that, you know, quarterbacks at this point, what is their peak? Mm -hmm. Age 31, 32. Now, that's not a good reason to keep Drew around at this point. He needs to be a good quarterback. But, you know, if you can design enough half-field reads for him to, to get him by, to have a successful offense, because he does the – you throw in a bunch of bootlegs, you lean mm-hmm. on the running game, that kind of stuff. Just because he doesn't get it this year doesn't mm-hmm. mean he's not going to get it next year or three years from now. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean you turn him into your franchise guy, but it's – He's a 24-year-old playing a 30-something-year-old's game. That's a, that's a good point. Now, the thing that changed at quarterback since Aaron Rodgers then to Drew Locke now is the rookie wage scale. Because oh, okay. what happened then, mm-hmm. 
all of a sudden quarter the, the, the gap between the quarterback first contract and the second contract became exponential. So you started looking at overall team construction and realizing, okay, I've got a window here where I have a cost control quarterback drink, as we always do <laughs> in our DMVR Broncos drinking game. So you have this cost control quarterback and we're able who's making pennies on the dollar and you can build the rest of the team around him. And so that becomes a title window. It's, you know, the chiefs won a super bowl in Patrick Mahomes' cost control window. Seattle won with Russell Wilson during his cost control window. It's been less successful for the Seahawks since then because Wilson's contract shoot up a higher percentage of it. Now that being said, one of the things that we learned in the last decade in, in, this, in this rookie wage scale era of quarterback contracts is that you can succeed with a young quarterback on that first deal, building everything else around him, even if that young quarterback is just okay. You can succeed with a great quarterback making elite money because he's playing on a level to where he's worth it. Where you get into trouble is when you pay that veteran quarterback elite money and you're not getting elite results. It's a reason why I think Dallas was a little bit skeptical about writing the big check for Dak Prescott because he's very good. Is he, is he going to be worth this huge percentage? I think Patrick Mahomes clearly worth the contract. Yep. Russell Wilson, even though the Seahawks have not gotten back to the Super Bowl in the last few years, He's clearly worth his deal because Russ mm. gives them a chance even when the rest of the roster is crap. But basically, your quarterback is like your goalie in hockey. Your goalie in hockey is hot. Carey Price is, is stopping everything. A middling team can go all the way to the finals just because yeah. of that one guy, and that's what happens. All, it can happen with quarterback. didn't happen with Houston last year with Deshaun Watts, who had a great season. The team was terrible. But Russ, but Russ in Seattle has proved that, hey, okay, you can be a great quarterback shaky around you and still find a way to be a contender. But then you look at, for example, Baltimore before Lamar Jackson came in, they gave Joe Flacco elite money on his contract in 2013. And he was middling to lower mid tier at quarterback. And it hamstrung that franchise. When Buffalo brought backed up the Brinks truck to Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2011 for a couple of years, that was a contract that kind of screwed things up, up for them. So that's why, with Drew, it's like, okay, we want to take advantage of this cost control window, quarter, second round quarterback playing on a rookie deal. Yeah. But then kind of the, the time to make a decision is barreling down on you. Yeah. And will he have done enough by the end of 2022 to where you feel good writing that big check uh, for him? Or is it going to be like, okay, he's doing all right, but we don't see him as a, a top dozen quarterback. Maybe we have to go back into into the draft pool. Like Minnesota, I, I should bring them up because who knows what happened with Kirk Cousins in the next couple of years. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, but are the results enough to justify that contract? They haven't been. Absolutely. And, and you know, Kirk Cousins is probably the best example of that, of being like the, what, 12th best quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, but, that's, yeah great. That's probably a great spot. It's probably right where he is. Yeah, but you know, the obviously the way any market works is you get whatever the team that's willing to offer the most will pay you. Right. And 
that means somebody is going to overpay and obviously he's overpaid now, but where does he fit in in the future? You know, for him to be leading a Super Bowl team, does he need to be only making $10 million a year, $12 million a year? Or is that more like 20, 22, $24 million a year? And I mean, I guess you look at the Vikings teams and what happens Well, he's making 30 about right now. If he was making 20, you have an extra $10 million. You go back to those very best Vikings teams you add one $10 million player. Is that what puts him over the edge? Yeah, that, that's a great I don't point. Know. It, it, it's yeah. tough. It's tough. But I mean, I guess if I'm the Broncos say this doesn't work, work out. First of all, I, I know I'd be disappointing the fan base by not going after a rookie and going after Kirk Cousins specifically. I'd probably be willing to offer him like 15 a year. Yeah. Six a year. And I don't think I'd get him, but, but that's probably where I'd feel comfortable bringing in a Kirk Cousins. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And that's that's probably a fair amount. I mean, it's actually less than you pay Joe Flacco. Yeah, less than you pay Case Keenum. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, got $10 million, right? This past offseason yep. from Washington. So let's say there's a little bit of a bump because of TV contracts and revenues bouncing mm-hmm. back and whatnot. Let's so all of a sudden, like a fitz. Fitz next year would get, say, $12 million if he was in the same spot. And Cousins is a bit better than that. That's fair. By the way, it's funny. We talk about Kirk Cousins. Is he the 12th, 13th best quarterback? In the thing that launched this part of the podcast, ESPN three-year power rankings, they ranked the Vikings 17th at quarterback. And in the so three-year I, power rankings, 19th overall. So that is over the next three years. Right. His, his deal expires after this year. He's under contract right? for two more years. Oh, they can get out of the deal this year, I think, is they, what they it can, is. They, so yeah, that they, makes sense. Yeah, they, they, there's, a, there's a window, and I'm just going to look it up real quick to kind of get the, the details right on the contract. But this year, he's, you know, he's obviously got that $31 million <laughs> cap number. Now, they could get out of it next year, but they would basically be paying him not to play for them. Because oh, okay. like, what, what happens is if they cut him, they would have $45 million of dead money, no savings, but the key, it would be a trade because if they trade Kirk cousins, they're on, the Vikings are still on the hook for 10 million, 35 million goes to the other team. But then it becomes a thing. Like you said, the ideal number is $15 million for Kirk cousins, <laughs> not 35 million uh, as you'd be sitting there with, if you traded for him next year, wow. unless you did a significant restructure on that deal. And Hey, we yep. saw Teddy Bridgewater willing to do a significant restructure uh, to bet on himself coming here. I mean, that, that <laughs> percolates as well. Teddy believed in himself, take a huge pay cut, but Kirk cousins, he's not as fringy as Teddy Bridgewater as a starter. Somebody's yep. going to say, Oh shoot, I'll write that check. No problem. Yeah. And that's the thing. Or if I'm willing to say the Broncos pay $15 million for him, I think that that mm-hmm. gives you a legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I think that some team is going to say, well, we can give him 25 because we're, we're desperate or we think he's better than that or for whatever reason. That's probably where the market value is. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see over the next uh, 12 months. And, of course, uh, we know George Payton knows Kirk Cousins very well. That's why he comes up in this discussion, because if, if the man at quarterback isn't on the Bronco roster, 
Kirk Cousins is certainly somebody that they would take a look at. want to tell you about our friends over at Green Mountain Dental. We've had some DMVR listeners switch over to Green Mountain Dental over the years and make them their permanent family dentist, and they've let us know how great their experience was, and they thank us for leading them to such a great practice. There's nothing more rewarding than hearing that from our listeners. So if you switch to Green Mountain Dental, let us know about your experience. If you don't know, Green Mountain Dental Group is in Lakewood. They're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area, and they're big-time Colorado sports fans just like all of us. Our sales director, Lindsay, had her wisdom teeth removed there, said it was literally the best dentist experience of her life. Green Mountain Dental will treat you like family. They'll send you, send you a card after you become a new patient, and they'll call you after surgery to check up on you, see how you're doing. That's what Lindsay found out. So schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, and you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush as well. I use a Sonicare toothbrush. It's terrific. It'll promote good brushing habits. Make sure you brush for two minutes, morning and night. It'll take care of your teeth. So check that out. Join Green Mountain Dental Group today. Become a customer. Become a patient there. Get that free Sonicare toothbrush, and you'll find a dental dental group that will treat you like family over at Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood, the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. Also want to tell you about Solace Meds, a new partner with four convenient Colorado locations, a great dispensary here along the Front Range. Their locations are in Fort Collins, in Denver, off-Broadway, in Denver, on East Colfash, just blocks from the DMVR bar, and in Quitridge. Solace had some great <laughs> deals for the month of July. I'm glad you got that. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Quitridge. Quitridge. Anyway, Solace has great deals, including it. Quitridge. Including <laughs> wild night and day gummies, 50% off. All Wana, 25% off. All Pen cured rosin cartridges, 20% off. Green dot concentrates, 20% off. Rosin cones, 20% off. 10 cent pre-roll or 10 milligram edible when you spend 50 bucks. And guess what? If you go into their Quitridge location, you'll get a free solace bar king cone when you mention the code DNVR20. So you get 20% off at the Wheat Ridge the Wheat Ridge location, and get a free Solace Bar King Cone if you use that magical code DNVR20. The DNVR20 code works, though, at all locations for 20% off. Here's what you do. You head on over to their website, check out their menu, order online, and pick up at your convenience at one of those four locations. So go to solacemeds.com, S-O-L-A-C-E, meds.com, purchase from there, and use that code DNVR20. Also want to tell you about Hassle Cattle Company, Damn good beef, and it's damn good beef that you can get at a DNVR bar. We could not resist putting that blue-collar Wagyu beef on the menu. Shelby Harris had it. He loved that burger. It's like, oh, my God, it's great. You can see the video out there on social media of Shelby Harris enjoying that Hassle Cattle Company Wagyu beef burger. So come on down to the DNVR bar. Build your own burger at all the toppings you want and enjoy the watch parties with the finest beef you're going to find they've got smoked sausage beef bacon new york strips franks with no fillers two jerky flavors original and sweet and spicy they won the northeast burger jam here in the recent past and now they're also offering you buy three get one free on flank steaks 9.99 each you can use these for carne asada throw them on the grill it's gonna be a terrific meal for you so DNVR flank at checkout to get buy three, get one free on their flank steaks. They're $9.99 each, so super affordable. The other code that you want to remember, of course, is DNVR10 to get 10% off. And if you get that order $200, you're going to get free shipping. So that's like another 10 or 15% off, really. So check out HassleCattleCompany.com. It's H-A-S-S-E-L-L, CattleCompany.com. Get some of that blue-collar Wagyu. 
You can come on down to the MVR bar and try it before you make a big order and then get that order $200 when you go online, put the extra in the freeze in the freezer. You won't regret it. You'll always have a great meal. You won't go hungry, man. That's making me hungry. Just reading that spot, Hank. And now let's hear from the people, our listeners. Thank you as always for chiming in and joining the comment section. We're going to start with Count Lockula who says, my folks, is there any data to back up, back up George Payton's paired paradigmatic shotgun approach to drafting or might be there just as much as success when trading your bounty of picks to land, say five or so guys in the top 100 and letting the late round guys who rarely work out fall to the wayside or hopefully exist as undrafted free agents. Of course, the X factor could be drafters, scouts, etc. But I wonder what you find fellows prefer. Love the count. Great question. Uh-huh. And this of course goes to George Payton, always wanting to have at least 10 picks being willing to trade down and get extra picks. And he loves those deals where even when he moves up, he gets a later round pick back kind of as a sweetener to kind of, to balance the, the scales on things. Now the count mentioned the X factor is the drafter and the scouts. I actually think the X factor is the coaching and the quality of the coaching those players get. Yep. Yep. And I agree. And I think I brought this up before. Um, but my, uh, my senior year of college, when I was getting my economics degree, my, my thesis was on, uh, it was actually a lot about drafting quarterbacks and why you need a cost control quarterback and all that kind of stuff. Drink. But a big piece of it was, yep. <laughs> but a big piece of it was, uh, um, how, like just draft values work themselves, not just quarterbacks. And mm-hmm. what the, I think, I think it was Andrew Zimbalist. It was one of the big name sports economists who, uh, if there is such a thing, I will add that, um, that realized. So they went through all of the trade charts, like the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. They went through the, um, like just empirical, like what the actual trades NFL teams made were mm-hmm. valued at for each pick, figured out what those values were. And then compared the the players that were taken across the board for the entire draft, every draft, and found that more often than not, the team that trades down is getting a better deal than the trade team that trades up. They're getting more production um, based on, I think a lot of it was based on like the pro football reference. They have like the AV stat. They use right. other stuff like games started. They use stuff like pro bowls and all pros and kind of weighted things different ways. And no matter what they used, they found that teams overvalue higher picks. And because of that, you get more production in the long run when you trade down. Yeah. Th- and that's, so that's, yeah. that's been my theory. Yep. Yeah. That that's, that's some really good stuff. And I, it's interesting to kind of distill it down by positions as well, because uh-huh. yeah, obviously you're going to get a better chance of success, the higher you are in the draft. But it's interesting to see how kind of at some positions, the rate of return drops gradually to the point where you say, all right, I'm actually better off drafting two running backs in round six than one in round three. But at quarterback, instead of kind of having a gradual drop, there is a point in the first round around pick 15, 16, where it actually goes off a cliff. And then mm-hmm. kind of is, is pretty much the same late one into the second round, a little bit of a drop off into three and then on to day three. So it's, it shows something different at each position, like, but a, like a running back, 
or an off- offensive line. If you're taking, say, taking an interior offensive line, you're sometimes better off, uh, like a, a guard, for example. You're a guard or center. You're better off picking one guy, like two guys in back. Sorry about that. You're better off picking like two guys in round three and round four than one guy in round two. Yep. Yeah. And so in general, like at least the economics would suggest that the more picks you have, the better. And maybe there is something to like trading up and getting like, I don't know I guess he said five top 100 picks. Mm -hmm. The numbers would say probably not, but you know, if, if you do it and you hit on four of them, it's still kind of just a, a, a game of chance, you yes. know, and there's it's the more risky strategy. The odds would say you're less likely to find value. Mm-hmm. But if you're a team that, you know, maybe you're you're a contender and you're looking for one or two guys, who you know, can contribute this year, then maybe in that situation, instead of going after those guys who, you know, they are still more likely to take time to develop in the fifth and sixth round. You just go for some impact get guys and see if you can get a, another star to add. The other thing that comes into play, I think, is also the quality of the draft. Like, where is the strength of this? Mm-hmm. This year's draft, because you had more players coming back to college for this year, <laughs> this year's draft generally acknowledged to be pretty weak as you got into day three. Mm-hmm. Next year looks really strong in day three because of the number of guys that chose mm-hmm. to come back because of how COVID-19 altered the 2020 season. So that's why like one thing that I thought was interesting as you, because generally speaking, it was pretty much the same as most years as you got to like round four and then like round five is where it kind of began to tail off. And then round six to round seven, you're looking at a lot of guys who might be undrafted most years. So it was interesting to see what the Broncos did in those sixth and seventh rounds because they had four picks, three of them from the SEC, one from the Big Ten. In the case of Jonathan Cooper out of the Big Ten, there was the, the heart condition that caused him to drop. But they chose to gamble on guys that had played at a high level in college in, in, college in terms of their competition rather than rolling the dice on Guys that you sometimes might see in the in the later rounds as you start you go to you know group of five, FCS, etc. They they focused entirely on power conference guys, and in fact, every pick from Baron Browning on down in this draft was a power conference guy. And the only the only the only actually distilling it down further, um, this was overall an SEC heavy, heavy draft anyway, because yeah, you, you had five SEC guys overall, and then you had another, another three big 10 guys. Wow. I, or let me count. Wow. Or, yeah. Or five, yeah. Five, I mean, yeah. Five SEC guys, three big, big or two, or you had three. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Did I, add it? I think, Oh shoot. I had it wrong. Four SEC, three big 10 <laughs> One ACC, one Big 12, one from uh, Division Three. But as they got that, they actually went, you know, the first three picks were SEC, but then ACC and then Division Three. And then as they got down, it's like, okay, we're going to, you know, we, there are going to be a lot of questions about these late guys. Let's at least take players that played at a higher level. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and Minnesota historically likes to pick a lot of small schools guys on day three. 
we didn't see that from the Broncos with George Payton this year. Yeah, and I wonder because because up in that area, there yeah. are a bunch of like D three D D two schools. You know, it, it seems like there's a lot more of that level of football up there. Whether it's in Minnesota, Wisconsin has a bunch, yeah. but I wonder if that plays a part. That's a good, you know, that's a that's a good question because, like, in the state of Wisconsin, for example, Wisconsin Whitewater is uh, is a part of is part of that. They are in the Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, which mm-hmm. is comprised entirely of schools that are part of the University of Wisconsin system, but they're all D three. So it's like Whitewater, Lacrosse, Oshkosh, yeah. Stout. As they say up in, as I've been told, they say up in Wisconsin, stout, stout, drink your way out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, but uh, you had like, uh, like Adam Thielen, for example, was another guy mm-hmm. from D2, D3. You know, it, there's the, there's the Wisconsin conference. There's the Minnesota intercollegiate athletic conference. Uh-huh. You know, there's schools playing uh, D2, like, uh, like Minnesota state at, at Mankato. And, we don't have like the D three here in Colorado, but we've got the RMAC. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I wonder Yeshua Pueblo has actually produced multiple NFL players down in the RMAC too, including yeah. this Super winner, Ryan Jensen. It does seem like though, that for some reason, there's just a lot of talent in those leagues up North though. Mm-hmm. It seems like every year there's guys coming out at maybe not, all of them, of course, but like you get a, a couple, whereas it's, it's like once every 10 years somewhere else. I wonder if you can, let's see, I'm just going to look up like division three players who are drafted. Okay. See if there's like a bunch of them that are from up in the North. Um, there's not like a list There's three this year, central mm-hmm. Missouri. You've got Quinn miners, of course, from whitewater and then Charleston. So well, that's not really Central Missouri's D2. Oh, is that? Yes. Yeah. I, 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 Mizzou was one of the schools I went to. And, uh, you know, the, Kim Anderson, who actually was br- briefly Mizzou's basketball coach, was terrible. He coached at Central Missouri for a while there. And uh, right, right off I 7 the Mules, by the way, is their nickname. But uh, I think D2 and D3 are kind of it. We kind of lump them together. Yeah. Even though D2 scholarship and D3 isn't. Like there's a. <laughs> yeah. But you know we've D three like like D two. You remember David Kirkus? Yes, Grand yes. Valley State. What state is that in? <laughs> Michigan. Okay, so so here's a list. And by I the way, Jay, by the way, Jake Kumaro is a Wisconsin Whitewater guy. So if the Broncos traded for Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and added Jake Kumaro, they would have two players from Wisconsin Whitewater. <laughs> <laughs> that would that's be- all, that would be awesome to me. Okay. Awesome. I would love that. Okay. So here's, we can go through this real quick. So this yeah. is 2019. There were 11 D3 players on NFL rosters. Okay. Here's the schools. Okay. Middlebury College. Vermont. Beloit. Beloit College. Gosh. Uh, Beloit I'm testing you on these. <laughs> Beloit College is in Wisconsin, right? Okay. I mean, I believe it. Derek Carrier, if that helps. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, Beloit. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I'm looking up Derek Carey now. I just looked it up. Edgerton High School, Edgerton, Wisconsin. They went to Beloit College in Wisconsin. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Greenville University. Wait, is it Greenville or is it North Greenville? 
Uh, this one's just Greenville. Nicholas okay. Morrow. Okay. Then, I, I, is it Greenville with an E or, or no? Just Greenville University? Yes. With an E. All right. I'm, I'm looking Greenville. So it's G-R-E-E-N-E. E, no, E-E-N-V-I-L-L. Okay. All right. I'm looking it up. Green, okay. There's North Greenville, which is in South Carolina. Greenville University is in Illinois. Okay. Okay. That's right up there. Yep. Uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. We know that one. Uh-huh. What about Wesley College? Do you know that? Wesley College. Oh, would they be like, gosh. Um, I don't know. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. There are okay. There okay. There were two schools in the United States known as Wesley College. <laughs> One is uh, is in Delaware, and it was acquired by Delaware State University. Okay, and that that has to be the one because the other Wesley College closed in 2010. Who? Which player are we talking yep. about? Matt Gano, G O N O, tackle from it, the Falcons at the time. Okay, Ma- Matt Gano went to the Wesley College in Delaware. Okay, I just okay. that up. Okay. There's one that isn't. Um, Hobart, that's east somewhere, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Hobart is in, uh, is in New York, I believe, because Allie Marpet, okay. of course. Yep, that's who it is. Louisiana College, that's Louisiana. Concordia Moorhead? That's in Minnesota. Okay, University of Dubuque? Iowa, which is not too... It's not, not, not it's a, not Dubuque far. is on the border with Wisconsin. Okay. On the Mississippi and then, River. Mm-hmm. And then there's two more, Wisconsin Whitewater and Wisconsin Platteville. So, yeah, okay. like, I, that, well, you're it was, right. Oh, my God. It's just like crazy powerhouse. Yeah. No the upper Midwest. What is it people. about the upper Midwest? What's going on? I, up don't there? Know. I don't know. But that is where all the NFL D3 talent comes from. And so it makes sense that the Vikings would have an in with all of them. I wonder, I wonder if Peyton brings that to Denver. That I would knowledge. hope so. I would hope so. And certainly you could, it started with minors. And now that being said, he was at the senior bowl. Yep. Ali Marpet was at the senior bowl and he busted out. Like, mm-hmm. by the way, I, I watched some of Ali Marpet's Hobart film. It's the most, it's the most ridiculous film I've ever seen. I mean, that, because with all respect to uh, Hobart, they're, they're not on the Wisconsin whitewater level. All right. In terms of the schools they're playing, uh-huh. Ali Marpet looks like a big kid. It's like it's like the 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 uh, the Dalton Reisner high school film. He looks like a big kid who's just shoving small kids out of the way in college. <laughs> Whereas my, Miners is dominant, but you know, there there are some decent players in that what Whitewater's going against, and of course Whitewater is one of the best. Uh, division three programs there is it's probably you know, whitewater yep. and john carroll what's interesting to me is white is that you see more players out of the upper midwest you don't see any john carroll guys even though that's been a division three powerhouse too interesting that is yeah john john carroll you know they they won a national title back in 2016 they're a historic mount union as well that's another powerhouse why is mount union yeah. not out there that's weird. i mean I guess when there's only 11, yeah, the the sample size right. is so small that maybe they just didn't have any NFL guys at that point. There's okay, guys who are real close. This is absolutely crazy and absolutely terrific that we just went on a Division Three thread jack uh, <laughs> podcast jack here. This is this is all over the place. Let's move. <laughs> it is. 
let's move on to the comment section from uh, Shat Permer, as he calls himself. I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Gentlemen, <laughs> after listening to the latest Three Ring Circus pod, RK inspired this suggestion when he mentioned you could do a whole pod on any one person's background and history if they're willing to open up. So how about this? As DMVR is all about the fan community you've so lovingly created, how about a 10-minute subscriber spotlight at the end of a pod when you pre-record a one-on-one conversation about the fan's life, what they do, where they live, life goals, and most importantly, their Bronco story, et cetera. You're the creative ones. Come up with better questions. You could start at the OG and work your way through the newest subscriber. This would further enrich the fan subscriber interaction and experience whilst, whilst you guys gain a valuable insight into what makes us tick. I'm unsure of the amount of work involved for you guys to implement such a task. It's just an idea. So please know I will not be offended if you shoot this down. Thanks for the consideration, Harry. That's actually a great idea. It is. Subscriber it spotlight. Is. Yeah. Especially, I mean, yeah, we could talk about ideas later, but if you did like yeah. a little preview before, like the, they come on for the mm-hmm. questions on three ring circus or something. Oh yeah. A little spotlight there. That's we'll, awesome. We'll pass, along. we'll pass it along. That's we're going to, that, that will definitely, that will definitely merit some discussion and yep. some brainstorming. So yeah, I, I love that idea. That's great. Baja 24. Hey, Jen, it's been a while since my last comment, but I really want to share with you guys after 24 years of Broncos fandom from a guy who has sadly never lived in Denver or Colorado. I am going to be attending my first ever game at mile high this September against the New York jets. My hope Oof. is to get to the stadium well ahead of kickoff. So I can wander around and like take in the stadium. What are some things I should absolutely be sure to see while I'm there? Well, Denver stadium, Hank, what do you say is a must visit for someone coming for the first time? Well, assuming we're still going to be having DMVR tailgates, which I feel like is a pretty safe assumption at this point. Yes, I, I did. Too. We'll see what happens. That is number one on the list because that's going to be a lot of fun. I know I'm excited. My, my schedules this fall are going to be pretty crazy on the weekends, going up to like Boulder or wherever for Buffs mm-hmm. games on Saturdays. Then we got the tailgate early Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. heading out to the actual tailgate afterward. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a party. But, but yeah, so that's number one on the list. But uh, from there, I mean, they have like the mini mile high. You definitely got to check out like all the statues out front. Mm-hmm. Um, you got like the Pat Bolin statue and then all the ring of famers. Um, I don't, the, that's kind of the top of my list. Sometimes do they still have the Super Bowl trophies in the team store in there. I believe if not, they, they do. always have, yeah. So, so that if, if they're in there, you definitely need to go check that out. They probably have a bunch of, they always have cool memorabilia autographs, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, even if you're not going to buy anything. Um, yeah, I think that's what comes to my mind. Any ideas, mm-hmm. Mace? I mean, around the stadium, that kind of hits it. If, if, you, if you're able to come like two or three days before, you might be able to get a stadium tour, which I recommend Ooh, yeah. um, doing that. And then kind of beyond that, if you sort of want to take it to a, another level sports-wise, uh, I'm going to just look here and see if the Rockies are in town then. Because if the Rockies are in mm-hmm. town that weekend – and you're coming for a Denver weekend. Yeah, the Rockies are down and, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of playing out the string here. Ooh, it looks like they, they actually uh, are going to be in town. They're going to be playing uh, the San Francisco Giants that weekend. So, Winnable games, too. Because <laughs> they're at home. Because they're a good yep. team at home. And actually, it's going to be a big weekend because the Friday night game, is going to be uh, fireworks at Coors Field. The Saturday night game is going to be Larry Walker's cel- the jersey retirement and celebration of his Hall of Fame induction. So 
that's a that's a great weekend. So I would say get out to Coors Field as well and uh, t- take in one of the best places to watch a ball game and uh, either get fireworks one night or uh, celebrate with Larry Walker on Saturday night. That'd be fun. <laughs> yep, that's good stuff. Yeah. So hey, yeah, look forward to seeing you out here. Baja Twenty Four also says he's going to try to get over the DMVR bar during his two days in town. I know, way too short trip. Not sure how often y'all tend to hang out there during the season, but if I happen to see there, I'd love to say hi. You guys are the best. I would say it's a home game Saturday. I will probably pop in on home game Saturdays to because they're obviously a, a whole mess of college football games on, and you know hopefully we'll have like five or six games on the TVs around yeah. the bar. So uh, when the Broncos are in town on set on, on those weekends. Most of, most of those home games Saturdays, I expect I'll be over at the DMVR bar for at least a couple hours. Yeah, plus so. weekdays, usually there's somebody. I mean, I expect during the season in there, yeah. like during the day, recording something or doing mm-hmm. something. Uh, plus, you know, everybody's on Twitter. And if you say, hey, I'm going to the bar, a lot of us are very easy to convince to go to the bar yeah. because why wouldn't we? The thing I am hoping for, and I don't know when it's going to happen, what I am hoping for is that uh, things progress to where we re- we reopen during the week for lunch. Yeah, that'd That's, be that'd be so nice. Yeah, because we're over there yeah. recording, and you know, it'd be nice to get a uh-huh. meal. But that's that that is something that hopefully comes as we continue to emerge out of the pandemic, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Everyone's kind of adjusting to the new reality here, but uh, yeah, should see some of us over there. Come on down to the MVR bar. 5280 PDX. Fellas, I've been a member for a few years, but have probably only commented a couple of times. Just love supporting everything y'all do. After listening to Monday's episode about the expansion draft, we did a mock expansion draft yesterday based off the NHL draft. And it was pretty good discussion. And the considerable time you spent on Portland as an expansion city, I wanted to share my thoughts. While I'm a Boulder native, Scobuffs, I currently live in Portland. There is no way they would ever get an NFL team here. Besides being a small market, as you mentioned, there's no way the politics of the city would subsidize billions of dollars to build a stadium for someone who just spent upwards of $6 billion for the rights of the new team. See Oakland. While I hate the Raiders, as I have to by birthright, I agreed with the citizens that they didn't need to be screwed out of their tax money by the walking worst haircut in the world, Mark Davis. That being said, this is a perfect Major League Baseball city. As you said, they're starved for sports. Can't tell you how good it felt to see firsthand the Nugs breaks the, the Blazers and the, the city at large. There's also a large working class portion of the city that does not work normal hours. It could easily go to a 105 Thursday game, Tuesday game. Tie that with a park built right on the water and you got something special. Sorry for not talking Broncos too much. I'll see you at the bar in October for the Raiders game wearing my custom Kendall Hinton number two jersey. I love that jersey. And you know what? That's a good point about Portland. We didn't really get into that because I didn't know how deep we want to dive. But everything that 5280 PDX mentioned is correct. The momentum there, if there's another sport coming to Portland, is baseball. There is a spot for a stadium kind of parceled out on the on the riverside. And it does kind of fit more of Portland's kind of ethos and the way it sees the world to have a baseball team than a football team. So I, I do think, and you know, baseball is also a sport where a lot of people like to get there by public transit. We see that in a lot of cities. Portland has a very extensive light rail system. Baseball would be a good fit in Portland. And if that's, if they add another major pro sport team, I do agree. That's the one that I see. I see Portland adding. Yeah. I think uh, to, to build on like the stadium thing, Mm -hmm. you know, all that same economic stuff I did, there was a lot on like 
the public spending on stadiums? Mm -hmm. The answer is like, economically, you're losing money doing it. Yeah. Like, sure, it's going to bring business and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's a bad deal. Mm -hmm. But if you want to try to quantify like the happiness that comes with it, then you can get into an argument where it's like, yeah, it's good for the city. It's good for city morale and that kind of stuff. But that's just so hard to quantify. And mm -hmm. because it's hard, usually governments don't like to do it. Um, but yeah, Portland in particular, I don't see them spending. The one thing about the baseball part that I think is kind of interesting is like, I think it'd be easier to sell 80,000 tickets to an NFL game in that market um, because it is obviously a smaller market, mm -hmm. whatever that would be, it'd be like eight times a year, nine times a year. Then it would be to sell what average MLB attendance is like 25,000, yeah. but doing 81 times. I think because the small market might be easier to get those big numbers a few times than a consistent I don't know. Just an idea. I'm not really sure, though. That's very true. And that's kind of one reason yeah. why, like, the threat, the threshold for market size is usually bigger for baseball than it is for football. Now, the thing with baseball is it's a, we have some teams that are regional, like the Cardinals, the Braves, mm -hmm. a few others. But baseball is mostly kind of in-city, in-area, you know, coming down on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. Yep. And Portland definitely falls short in terms of, people driving in for games because that's true what markets are there outside of portland that are going to come that are going to come in i mean it's basically you know you have the college town like eugene uh, or yep. Dallas, and then but they have, already have one of the best football programs in the country right. and maybe their fans are saying eh, I, i'm i'm happy being a college football fan and going to ducks games i'm not necessarily gonna start right. going after the portland whoever's yeah now, and so that's why i think like baseball actually may make because it would probably just appeal probably. more to the city it would probably make more sense. The other thing is kind of on, on economics of building a stadium. Baseball, if you do have to pick in, chip in some public money, baseball gives you more bang for your buck because yep. of the frequency of events. And it still has the ability to host the same kind of things like concerts and that sort of thing that mm -hmm. a football stadium has. But you're bringing people into the stadium area 81 times a year rather than just 10. Like we've kind of had this argument uh, on yep. our podcast, I know it made it oh, to yeah. the Denver Sports Podcast. Baseball stadiums need to be downtown or like in some kind of urban core. A football yes. stadium you can put anywhere. You can put it in the middle of a parking lot and it, it out in the suburbs, and it'll do fine. Yep. But a baseball stadium needs to be downtown. And, and with with football, tailgating is such a big part of it that there are a lot of people who prefer the stadium that's just surrounded by acres and acres of parking lots. Yeah, I hate to say it, but like where the Bronco Stadium is, all is surrounded by parking. But that location, that's really a horrible use of the land. <sighs> yeah, it, it's tough because urban I mean, core land is being wasted right now just because it's an ocean of asphalt. And and the problem is that they just don't play enough games. You know, if, yeah. if, if like baseball, they were out there even like thirty times a year then it'd be easy to justify because it is really nice being able to get there conveniently. And I know mm -hmm. like for me, I like to go to our tailgates, even if I'm not going to the game because it's fun. And because I can jump on one of those scooters and from my apartment, it's going to take 10 minutes to get over there. That's true. That's but true. you know, if, if it was out in Centennial, there's no way that I'm going <laughs> to any of those. No, no way. Especially because I'm either driving yeah. and then 
you know, keeping myself in good shape to drive back or I'm whatever, like taking an Uber and blowing crazy amounts of money to get out there. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that there's, there's definitely strengths and weaknesses, but I don't know. I also think the Broncos are part of the city's identity and being able to see that on the horizon. It's, I I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. It'd be interesting to see where Broncos fans come from. How many are coming from the urban core and how many are coming from the suburbs? Yeah. And and especially because I I think, you know, in Vegas, I think a lot are coming from downtown because they're all staying in hotels. They're just visiting for the weekend. Whereas the Broncos, I think most of the fans are around here. You know, sure, there's plenty that like fly out and that kind of stuff, but not compared to a bunch of other teams. I think the fan base, a lot of it is local because there is Mm -hmm. such significant support in Denver. That's true. Larry Dang Jr., LDJ, is there a way you see Pat Sherman putting Drew in this offense in position to succeed? I get so ticked off looking at Drew Locke's pass rating with play action. Isn't this a copycat league? Isn't this a good defense? Didn't we just draft Javante Williams to go with our 4.4 or more yards to carry high-paid running back from last year? Isn't this expected to be an O-line in the top third of the league? Why the hell are we not running a Tennessee Titans offense? Commitment to the run game and giving Drew play action opportunities to do what he does best. I'm sorry, guys. I had no clue Drew was that good on play action. Because, like, dude, where is this team with the play of Tannehill next year if we had that type of quarterback play? I just want to see a path where we can trust that Pat Shermer will give this offense the best chance to succeed. What's interesting is that Pat Shermer guided an offense in Minnesota with Case Keenum in 2017, that was heavy on the play action. And so Keenum <laughs> comes to Denver in 2018. Bill Musgrave doesn't do a lot of play action. And we're all screaming, where's the play action? So it's yep. not that Pat Shermer isn't willing to do it. But, and if the other thing is, I think Pat Shermer does get a bit of a bad rap because Daniel Jones was better with Pat Shermer than he was after Shermer left. True. Case Keenum did play outlandishly well with Pat Shermer and mm-hmm. has not approached that form, form before or since. So is it possible that Pat Shermer just sees something in Locke that maybe he doesn't quite like that does, that doesn't, that isn't uh, where he wants it to be? Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing he could be looking at is all those receivers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Jerry Judy, is somebody who you like in more of a spread type of offense right. than in the play action, just run your big over route across the field and meet the quarterback on the sideline. Um, I don't know. I, I To me, it, it is simple. I think personally, I like the offensive line for the reason I said before. I think you've got seven guys, maybe even eight guys, if you throw Calvin Anderson in there and you just got to find the five that work best. And that's a lot better situation than they've been in the last couple of years. I like the running back. Eh, we're kind of going long on this podcast, so I don't need to share all my thoughts. No, that's but, okay. Uh, yeah, like we uh, have. I believe we have hit the two-hour mark. Two-hour pod. Oh, love it, love that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to keep you this long. We'll we'll be shorter on Thursday, I promise. <laughs> yeah, we'll do our best. Uh, but Melvin Gordon, I mean, he's a he's an average back. Is that, he's above average. He's he, let's give him some so? credit. He, yeah, he is. He's above. Uh, it's it's he's tough. above average. I mean, there's there's just so many running backs. I feel like whether it's Saquon, Zeke, uh, Kamara, Christian McCaffrey. Like I think there's just so many running backs. Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. That all of a sudden you get down. It's like 
Yeah, a little above average, sure. Yeah, he's he's probably if you're ranking all the running backs, the complete skill set, including blocking, he's probably about twelfth or thirteenth. So that's above average. Okay, and then Javante, I'm really excited about Javante. He's super talented, but also you look at what the rookie running backs did last year in the NFL. It's like, well, that's not <laughs> that's not inspiring going into this year. Wait, Jonathan Taylor had a great season last year. Jonathan Taylor did. Jonathan Taylor picked it up, especially late. But you he's look the guy players. the Chiefs should have taken. I will. He I will, absolutely. Is. I will die on that hill that I was. Yep. I was so relieved when they took Edwards Alaire, and I know they love Edwards Alaire. Uh-huh. But Jonathan Taylor going to the Chiefs scared the bejesus out of me, and I'm <laughs> glad they didn't do it. I agree. He was my favorite too. But you yeah. look at Edwards Alaire. You look at the pretty much everybody else in that class. I mean, you had like James Robinson, the undrafted guy who played well, but. For the most part, it's like, oh, these guys disappointed. And that makes me just a little bit skeptical going into this year with Javante Williams. Whereas other than that, I'm super excited. And so I could see a world where maybe just pounding the ball with those guys, it could not work out. It it might not be perfect. And I don't know. I still think that's probably the best way. And you work off of it with the play action. and You throw in some other stuff from there. But who knows? We'll see what happens and hopefully it works out. Yeah, hopefully it will. Melbourne Bronco. Hi, guys. Love the expansion pod yesterday. I'm dreaming of a Melbourne NFL side, knowing it could never happen. Money, (laughs) distance, Australian summer. But I would stay a Bronco. I'm curious as to how the DNVR bar and universe started. Was it one man's dream or a group? Cheers. You know, are we the best people to tell that story or should we uh, kick that comment to to tomorrow and, uh, and let Ryan Koenigsberg answer that since he's been there since pretty much day one? Yep, I, I yeah. could tell the story, but we're long and it's a Ryan story, so we'll let Ryan tell it. All right, so ask that again tomorrow, Melbourne Bronco. And, you know, basically, the, if it's the guys you want to hear from on that are Brandon Spano and Ryan Konersberg, and RK is going to be there tomorrow. So he, check him out when he talks about that. Hip, hip, you're Hey, guys, first and foremost, bum the three-ring circus might be pushed out for a bit, but that just means we are one week close to the tailgate show. Woot, woot. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I love the conversation about expansion franchises. I say the more cities that are in the proverbial pot of NFL franchises is a win. I like the idea of Portland getting a franchise and the return of a team to both San Diego and St. Louis. The fourth city to me would either be Oklahoma City, Birmingham, Anaheim, or Richmond. Obviously, somewhat of a dream scenario, but one can hope, boys. Here's this Tuesday. Go Broncos. Interesting cities. Just kind of go through them real quick. St. Louis, of course, talked about that lawsuit that the city and county have filed against the nfl and no there's no way the nfl wants to go to trial st louis's possibility of getting back in probably rests around some kind of lawsuit settlement i'd love san diego back in the league if they can build a build a stadium that'd be terrific oklahoma city you kind of and birmingham those would be interesting possibilities okc has already proven it can support a major franchise but does an okc does a team get lost because you got the Sooners right down the road in Norman and the Cowboys an hour away in Stillwater? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's tough. I I think that, you know, that's, that's just college football country. Yeah. And and you could probably win some fans over Birmingham kind of fits in that same category too, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely more of a risk. It's more of a risk than say like, let's just go to Toronto because it's not, that far away from a bunch of our other teams 
And there's just so many people that we're going to be able to fill that stadium. Even if it's just because it's kind of a novelty for a couple of years, eventually that fan base is going to be there. It's just the population to make it happen. Um, yeah. It'd be yeah, fun though. It'd be a it, lot of fun. It, it would be a lot of fun. And, and the other thing, like kind of some of the markets they mentioned, they're kind of, they're kind of right there. Like, in terms of a TV market, Oklahoma City is 44th. Uh, Birmingham is 45th. You mentioned Richmond. Oh, Richmond's a little further down at 56th. Uh, Hampton Roads, which is Norfolk and uh, Hampton, uh, Virginia Beach, et cetera, is 46th. They've had, is 46th in terms of uh, market size right now. Huh. They, they're all kind of so they're, they're all kind of fringe markets in terms of in terms of size. I think one that probably will come up, but again, you've got to kind of settle things with uh, Jerry Jones is San Antonio as well. Yeah. That does make a lot of sense. Football, football is big in Texas. They can, they have room for a third team there. Easily have room for a third. And the the question is, if you do that, you call them San Antonio or you got Austin just up the road. Do you say, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, we got the Cowboys in Houston, but we're going to be the Texas whatever's like oh, that would be that would, that be, would interesting. be interesting yeah i wonder how far apart are austin and san antonio i believe that they are about i want to say about an hour and a quarter uh yeah separates them uh, I, I could be wrong and i'm actually gonna cheat and look it up right now uh okay the distance between austin and san antonio and of course austin like what's interesting with us with that with them is it's a big market that it's obviously not one of the big, it's 80 miles, 80 miles from, um, or it's yeah. 80, if you, it's 80, if you, it's eight, if you walk, Oh shoot. <laughs> oh yeah. 80 miles. If you drive, yeah, okay. I, I, for some reason it came up walking this walking directions, but Austin wow. is sitting there, there they've got an MLS team. Now San Antonio has only the NBA. You could, there, there's a real valid argument that that part of the country is grossly underserved and it could handle one or yep. even two major league teams mm-hmm. coming in, in the, in the next decade or so. I wonder if, because those are pretty close, you know, you're talking about, you don't want football stadiums downtown. Could it make sense to just put the team right in the middle, make it, make it like, what would that be? 40 miles to each way. Or is that just like, I think if it was 15 miles each way, then that's definitely a good idea. Yeah. 40 miles each way might be a little too far. If 40 miles away is basically what you, close to what you have in New England between Providence and Boston, where Foxborough is. Huh. Now, the, 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 the most significant city between Austin and San Antonio is San Marcos, which is where Texas State University is. And, huh. they, and I believe when the World League was, was there, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the San Antonio Riders played some games out in san marcos and they were in the world league oh interesting so it it it, it would be interesting i i the other thing also is of course um yeah they yep they played at bobcat stadium 45 miles from san antonio uh because they were at alamo stadium in 1991 and i'm reading this off the wikipedia page in 1992 the san antonio independent school district refused to allow the sale of beer at games or beer advertising be displayed. And so they went to San Marcos. Yeah. I mean, you have to, I feel like that's kind of the draw for those games, right? Yeah. I mean, 
people are going to get, you know, you want people to get drunk. I mean, or, yeah. you know, loosen up, have a good time. And, and beer makes a lot of profit for you. So, yeah. So th- that would, that would be interesting. Like, like just central Texas in general, kind of Austin, mm-hmm. San Antonio or central slash South Texas. That I think, I think that, I think that would be a place that would be pretty high on the list. And we know that San Antonio, they were the temporary home of the saints back in 05 and got big crowds there. So I think, I think fans would come pretty quick. That's right. Mike 1809. Hey, gents, just saw a Schefter tweet saying that AA Ron declined a crazy big contract extension with Green Bay. Does this 100% mean he's not Packer next year? I don't want to get too excited, but damn it, I think I'm there ready for orange and orange and blue. <laughs> Rogers and orange and blue starry count. Well, you probably love our, fir- our first segment where we get into Aaron Rodgers yep. and the possibilities uh, that come from th- this news that we learned this morning about declining that contract extension. I've got one quick thing to add. Um, I will say this weekend I was checking just because I was curious. DraftKings had the Broncos um, for for Aaron Rodgers' first snap in 2021 at plus 400. So what does that mean? About about 20% chance that that happens. Um, Today, the odds have been removed. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm I'm guessing that they were removed because of the news, because that will change things and they got to figure it out. But It'll be interesting to see what those odds are once they put them back up. We were monitoring those odds for a while, like daily back in May and June. They took them off for a while and they put them uh-huh. back on. Plus 400, uh-huh. significantly uh, uh, different than the odds we were talking about back in May and June. So you wonder how they're going to recalibrate things a little bit. Yeah, I'd be happy. What? Plus 300 would make me really happy with the, the results of that news. That, that is perfectly fair. We close with True Champ Fan 24. A couple of things. Number one, I'd love to see Salt Lake City get an NFL team. They would show out to support that team, but I know Salt Lake City and Northern Arizona are big Broncos markets, and the main NFL may not like to eat in that. Well, the NFL basically took North Carolina from Washington back in the mid-'90s when they had the Carolina Panthers. So I don't think the NFL has any, any hesitation about going into a market because yep. one team already has an audience there. Now – Jerry Jones often really tries, tries to claim San Antonio, but again, money talks, situations talk. I imagine there would be something worked out there if they thought that was the best market. So if yep. Salt Lake City does or doesn't get a team, it won't have anything to do with uh, the Broncos. Yep, especially because the Broncos, it's not like they're hurting for fans. Exactly. You know, they'll have plenty of fans left over, so the NFL isn't worried about it. Plus, by the NFL, we mean NFL owners. And when it comes to a vote between all of them, the Broncos get one vote, just like every other team. A guy like Jerry Jones, he might be able to convince some people to, to support him, to stop people from putting a team in San Antonio, whatever. The Broncos' ownership situation means that they do not have anybody who's going to get, a, you know, 10 more, 10 more people to side with them when the time comes. Yeah, and you wonder if that changes if they sell the team. If You do? If Jeff Bezos is buying the team, how much influence does he have immediately? Because the NFL likes to have people come in and kind of and kind of and kind of you know watch and learn, but uh, the t- the the types of money people being kicked around to buy an NFL franchise, they're going to want more influence early than other owners have had when they can't when they come in. Really Just imagine the stadium that Bezos would build for the Broncos. Oh my gosh! Probably it would be ridiculous. It would be. It, it would probably be a stadium slash training facility. And a smaller stadium, they would, yes. would 
probably it would be somewhere if it's not where it is now, it would be somewhere probably near a rail line. It'd be Bronco world. It wouldn't surprise me if on top of that, in that small stadium, he bought the rapids and moved them there. Yeah. From Commerce sure. city. I mean, the, uh, I you, you, people if Jeff Bezos bought the Broncos, <laughs> you think Jerry world and the star down in Frisco where they train is opulent. You Ooh. ain't seen nothing yet. I know. It, it just and then outside, I'm I'm sure he'd build like bars and hotels and restaurants, and and they'd span blocks and blocks and blocks. Like I I wouldn't be surprised if it's like halfway out to the airport, Ooh. and he just gets a massive plot of land and goes crazy with it. Well, here's the other thing with that land where it is. Do, downtown or on the other side of the of the highway from downtown Mm -hmm. is there enough space there for someone like bezos to build what he would dream of i don't think so yeah i think it's just on top of of that if you're if you're building in that area you have to keep the stadium for a few years to play in it while the new stadium is being built well you could have the you could play a couple of years in boulder that would be incredible that would actually like, be it, awesome. It would be so cool. It, they say we have to build on this spot, so we're going to go play two years in Boulder. Oh, my. Yep. Could oh, you wow. imagine? People don't realize the view. Like, I, I just, when you're sitting up there, like, in, like, the football offices, you get to see down onto the field. You uh-huh. get to see the flat irons in the background. Uh, obviously, it doesn't, you don't like it practically because you can only sell however many seats. They don't have nearly as many boxes, all that kind of stuff. First of all, if, if it's a patch for two years, you don't care that much. And if you're Jeff Bezos, you really don't care that much because you have so much money already. Mm-hmm. But for that would be incredible if they go up to Boulder for a couple years while they build just something massive. The, the only thing is, I feel like a stadium that big that they build, it'd have to have a roof. And it w- yeah, it it, would. it'd be retractable. I, I hate the idea of the Broncos playing indoor games. I hate it. I love it. I really hate it. I look, I'll never forget before that playoff game against the Ravens and it's about mm-hmm. like nine degrees. And I always like to walk around the stadium, walk around the, the field, everything pregame to kind of just take in the atmosphere. You know, what's the buzz here? It was, these walks were terrible last year, but I digress. Um, <laughs> but I got about 10 steps out of the concourse felt the cold weather and i'm like I, no like literally yep. i there is no way even though i was layered up there's no way i could have stood out there for three and a half hours and i can tell you the older you get mm-hmm. the less tolerant you become of being out mm-hmm. in weather that's 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 less than optimal so yep i i have never been more in favor of a stadium <laughs> with a roof as i as i am right now I, because i just i i I'm past the point in life where I want to sit outside in 20 degree weather for three and a half hours. Yeah. I'm, I'm soft. I'm yeah. Like, build a, build a place with a roof. And also if you have a roof, you're getting super bowls. <laughs> there is that. And, yeah. and that is like the, the big thing about it is you want mm-hmm. to be able to bring in super bowls. You want to be able to host a final four, all that kind of stuff. But I think, I think it's good for a fan base. To be forced to go through that. I think that it it changes something in a fan base. Like you look at Bears fans and how crazy. You look at Chiefs fans and how crazy they are. I think that 
there is something to be said for forcing your fans in December and January to sit out there in every piece of clothing that they own and just withstand whatever is happening to them. And it just makes them meaner. And I think that it's, it's good for the fan base to have to like prove themselves. You don't get the casuals out there just because they have the money or whatever. I, I, I also just feel like football is an outdoor game, but that's another thing. There are a lot of people in Minnesota who would agree with you. I bet Vikings haven't been to a Super Bowl since they moved inside first the Metrodome and now they're at U.S. Bank Stadium. So they played the, they've played now 39 seasons inside, no Super Bowls, 21 seasons outside at Old Metropolitan Stadium, and they went to four Super Bowls. Yeah, it's it's I I don't know. I think that the Broncos should be able to use that to their advantage. You know, go out there, be big, be mean, be physical beat up on the other team, have fans. They're just going insane because they're sitting in nine degree weather in a blizzard. Yeah. Like to me, like that's, that's just an important part of football. Yeah. And my Those bad on Minnesota, on Minnesota, I forgot the two years that they played over at the university of Minnesota when the, when the new stadium was being built uh-huh. on the side, on the side of the Metrodome and, uh, they, they actually made the playoffs one of those years with Teddy Bridgewater. And oh. that was because the, the thing everyone remembers is Bud Grant, their longtime Hall of Fame coach. Okay. He's pushing 90 years old and it's minus nine degrees. And he walks out there for the coin flip in short sleeves. Oh, you just, you lose that with the yeah. dough. You oh, lose it. Bud Grant famously didn't want heaters on the Vikings sideline back at old Metropolitan Stadium. Like he's like, hey, you know what? This is this is our weather. This this, this is mm-hmm. our environment. He believed very strongly in kind of the psychological game that you could play in extreme cold, and they had a lot of success. absolutely. So absolutely. Anyway, I, I'm with them. You do need a retractable roof, though. The good news is Jeff Bezos. That's he wouldn't even notice if he paid for that. Oh, it's it's it's. It's not pocket change, but uh, it's not it's, yeah. it's not a lot. He can, he he can write the check. He can write an eight billion dollar check for a franchise. He can write a two and a half billion dollar check to build Bronco Land. Yep. Is that what we? Is that what we'd have to call it? Like in in honor of John John Elway's <laughs> Bronco Land. <laughs> I wonder what they call it. I wonder if he put a naming right. It'd probably be like Amazon Stadium or something. Well, the There's thing is, but here's the thing with naming rights. Uh, Amazon, what does Amazon gain, gain from putting their name on a stadium? Everybody not already knows what Amazon is. Like Pepsi Center. Everybody knew Pepsi. What did yep. Pepsi and, and one thing, one sea change we've seen in naming rights is that companies that like air, big companies, airlines, United, huh? Delta, beer companies, like Miller no longer has Miller Park. It's American family field. Mm-hmm. Pepsi Center is now Ball Arena. You have Empower is the type of company that gets a lot of value from naming rights. Whereas you see these these companies that are you know that are sodas and airlines and something like Amazon that are like they, they don't gain anything out of that because there's no brand recognition that needs to be added. And so yep. that's that was one reason why it was kind of so hard for the Broncos to get na- get a, a, a name. A naming rights partner on the stadium was because the pool of companies has actually narrowed in the last 10 years as everyone's reassessed these deals. And like, if you're Pepsi, you're like, 
why are we writing this check for Pepsi Center? What are we getting out of this? Everybody, everybody knows Pepsi. So. Yeah. I wonder if, if it's not Amazon, then I just looked at it. So like Whole it w- Foods, Whole Foods yeah. Stadium or Zappos or Audible. Something that's a subsidiary that they would need to promote. Like if, if, if Bezos bought the team, maybe it would be not Amazon, but if they were launching like a new product that was yep. that they wanted to build brand awareness on, they would make it that stadium, that, that name stadium. That's or that name complex. That's that maybe is what you'd see. Or does he say this five million dollars a year to fifteen million dollars a year? It'd probably be closer to fifteen, especially for with a big stadium like that. It'd be pretty big. Or is but, it something? Yeah, something like in Seattle where literally you you're trying to have a green arena that they're building for the Kraken. Yep, and it's going to be Climate Pledge Arena. That's another direction I would uh-huh. see. If, if Bezos bought the team, I would see. I could also see the stadium name, complex name, being some kind of cause. Yep. Like that. I could see it. Or he just wants to win the fan base over and says the new mile high or something. Mile high stadium. Yeah. We just get to go back to it. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be something? And true champ fan continues. Number two, never put the burger <laughs> down. Number three for Mr. B. Mace, n- number four. Mace, Mace, champ isn't top five corner all the time. He is the top corner of all time. Love y'all. Okay. You can argue that. I mean, the one thing I can say inarguably, in my opinion, even though the NFL 100 might disagree, is that he is a top five corner, that he is in the, co- in the company of a Mel Blunt, a Night Train mm-hmm. Lane, Deion, San- Deion Sanders. That yeah. you can debate whether he's number one. I think in Broncos country, they obviously feel he's number one. But I don't think there's any debate he's top five. Yep, and uh, absolutely top five. Again, picking the number one of anything when mm-hmm. it, it just, it's just not something that you can do without a big argument and all that kind of stuff because there's so many different ways you can look at it, so many different strengths and weaknesses for the players and all that kind of stuff. And so top five, absolutely. And if anybody says he's not, you can say you're an idiot for not saying that. Whereas if you say he's number one and they say, no, he's not, then you're like, but he, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I'm still mad that the, the NFL top 100 uh, all time list that they did. Didn't the hundredth anniversary did not have champ Bailey on it. That the, the, the corner, the cornerbacks they had were Mel Blunt, Willie Brown, Daryl Green, Mike Haynes, Knight train lane, Deion Sanders, Rod Woodson. And I'll say this, having watched Daryl Green's entire career, having even seen him as a rookie when I was seven years old, Daryl Green's a great cornerback. Champ Bailey was better. Green played longer mm. than Champ. Huh. And yeah, Green had was maybe the fastest defensive player ever in the history of the game, but Champ was better technically. So just my, huh. my take on it, that's the change I would have, or I would have put Mike Haynes out and Champ Bailey in. But I think that that was one where the NFL 100 really missed, misfired. Champ should have been on that list. That's what always happens to Broncos. Uh, yeah, we always have something to complain about, don't we? But hopefully you're not playing, complaining about this, this podcast. And if you become <laughs> a patient at Green Mountain Dental, you won't complain because they're the best family, damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. They're in Lakewood. Just, pardon me, 15 minutes from Denver. 
A lot of listeners from DMVR have switched over, told us what kind of practice they are. They're going to treat you like part of the family. They'll send you a card when you become a patient. They will also check up on you after you have a procedure, like when know you're doing okay, if you're doing okay. They always want to take care of you. And guess what? If you become a Green Mountain Dental patient today, sign up for a cleaning x-ray exam. You're going to get a free Sonicare toothbrush, and that allows you to take great care of your teeth. So check out our friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood, the best damn family-owned dentist in the Denver metro area. That was a lot longer than expected, Hank. I apologize <laughs> for taking up so much of your time, although it just kind of got going. You had a lot to it say. It was fun. Appreciate you joining us. It'll be RK and me in the DMVR bar on Wednesday. Join us for the live show at 10 o'clock or a little bit thereafter. Hank's thereafter. Hank's rolling with me on Thursday as well from mm-hmm. his uh, Montana library or his family's Montana library. Oh, yeah. Thanks for rolling with us today on the DMVR podcast for Henry Chisholm. I'm Andrew Mason. We'll talk to you next time. One last